Welcome, travelers. We're aware that your journey was difficult, but prepare to have your questions answered, for you have been granted an audience with the Masters of Modern. All right, hi guys, this is Masters of Modern. I'm here, my name is Alex Kessler. I am your host, and I'm here with my co-host, Glenn Jones. Hello, uh, yeah, I'm Glenn Jones. You might recognize me from the pages of SCG or from my commentating and streaming work. And I am also joined, along with Alex, by Josh Lee Kwai. Who is our fearless leader in our weird, soon burgeoning podcast network <laughs> thing that we're all making here together with the Command Zone. Why does it have to be weird? Well, we're weird. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> Anybody who plays this game, I think, is weird. Hey, what's up, peeps? How's well, it? Glenn's really cool. We're I'm the weird one. And then you're like the gradient middle point. <laughs> I'm gradient now? <laughs> what happened? So, uh, what are Masters of Modern? What does that mean, guys? Okay, so, you know, this podcast, what we're going to try doing is introduce you guys to the world of modern, which is um, one of the four major Magic the Gathering formats. Um, it is the smallest eternal format so it which means that it is a format that the cards will be ever growing at starting at a specific point in time in magic's history every card from that point on is legal yep it does not rotate uh it's starting with mirrodin and eighth edition pretty much every card that comes out except for the exclusion of some minor products like commander and conspiracy uh are, it's going to be modern legal right so, yeah, I guess we should rewind really quick. Like, what's a format exactly? Like, what does format so, mean? Okay, so, don't know. The four major formats are standard, um, modern, legacy, and vintage. Um, there used to be a format called block uh, that kind of just in the last two weeks kind of had its yep. death knell. <laughs> um, and there used to be a format called extended, which was a standard... Super standard. Super standard. Which mm -hmm. is, so the, the difference between rotating. standard and all the other formats is that standard, every two years used to be, and now every 18 months, rotates. So the sets that were least recent leave standard, and the set that just came out enters standard. Essentially, but, um, older cards leave, newer cards come in, right. you're faced with a new environment, tons of new interactions, and that's where you're going with. Non-rotating formats, more about the cards just being added to. There are, new, there are new interactions, but they're all old cards with newer cards. That's what you're getting exposed to. So it's a constant expansion of what's already available. Right, and, and but a format itself is just a unified rule system yes. for a specific amount of cards within Magic's right, history, right? right. So, so in Magic, you know, generally, excluding you guys on your weird Command Zone podcast, uh, play with 60 <laughs> Don't cards. Don't let him talk to us that way. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, he only said four formats. There's a fifth one. I play a lot. <laughs> but anyway, so the formats... Um, they just encompass a certain amount of cards, and they have their own yeah. like band and just right, a defined right. yeah. set of yeah. of of cards that are legal, and you know that's basically it. Uh, so this is what you and can these do. are the general formats that you would play in a major tournament or right. even an FNM. Um, so the, what is what is modern again? Sorry, you you said it earlier, but I, I sort of missed it. Yeah, it's a, a non-rotating format that's starting in Mirrodin and Eighth Edition. Uh, cards printed at that point and afterward are going to be legal. Right, and so, the way and, it works is basically any card that has ever been printed in standard. That has the new magic border, not the black bar, but the the not like old ancient looking borders from the nineties. The sci-fi uh -huh. border is legal. Okay. Um, oh, so you can tell by the border. You can tell mm -hmm. generally by the border. You want to be a little um, safe about it because 
any cards printed now, like in reprint and promotional products and like dual decks or conspiracy also have the new border. Uh -huh. So there's a, a little bit of an issue. Not so you want to make okay. sure that it had been in standard <laughs> at one point. Gotcha. Um, but 8th edition and Mirrodin, forward. Yes. Yep. All legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, All with legal. the With the exception, exception of, of the ban list and any promotional sets. Okay. So, the ban list is just a series of cards that are disallowed from the format due to you know potential for abuse or perhaps an overpowered nature, or perhaps just because they don't like them. Right. So th there is... When w so they go into the history a little bit of Modern. When Modern was created, Modern was originally created because Legacy was the major eternal format. Right. But there are cards in Legacy that are on this thing called a reserve list, which is a promise Wizards made to us and the public and store owners. Mostly to store owners. Mostly to store owners. <laughs> that they will not reprint these cards on this list. Really awesome stuff like Dual Lands. Right. Dual Lands... All of the Power Nine. Of course. Uh, well, it, it was really, they picked a set of cards that were already valuable, and then they picked most of the rares in every set moving forward, and they got like five rares from every set for up until a certain point mm -hmm. where they chose, those are the ones we want to reprint, so don't put them there. Right. Which is why like Mana Drain is not on the reserve list, but the dual lands are. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mana Drain being probably the most two-cost counterspell ever printed. It actually wasn't uncommon. Yeah, I, I used to have about better. 20 of them. <laughs> but it was an uncommon in a world where there were no rares. There From were just Legends. Levels of uncommon. <laughs> it lets you counterspell and then you get that mana, basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, not still, bad. it's not a bad spell. Because the reserve list happened, so these cards became super expensive. So, and partly because SEG started doing weekly legacy tournaments, you know, Underground Sea is now a $300 card and a bad condition $300 card. And so. It became unsustainable. And Wizards saw a problem with this because eventually people will get mad that they can't play. I'm not, a, and they can't print them because they said yeah. we can't print more right. of these. They're so like they this can't... weird legal bind that yeah. they're like, we want to encourage people to play Eternal Format. We want people to feel like my Magic cards will be worth something past standard, but they can't. Yeah, essentially, what was going on at the time was Legacy had begun to really take off in popularity and extended was Wizards' current, like, you get to play with older card style format, mm -hmm. but extended in all of its incarnations was never really that popular a format. Uh, and, and they'd made it a super standard, a rotating format that just included more sets, and, and it, that hadn't really taken off either. And they realized, you know, that combination of things, like people like this legacy format, but we can't print cards for it, the non-rotating nature of it, you know, they can port that over. And that's basically exactly what happened. They decided to make, like legacy, a format that doesn't rotate, but unlike legacy, it excludes all cards that could be included on the reserved list. So they so, can then support it. Right, yeah, so, and so the, and the they have a safety cards. valve of, oh no, this card is now worth $400. We need to make it so people can access yeah. this card if it's too dominant in the right. format. So we can reprint it in promotional things, in From the Vault 20, in, in Modern, Vault, Masters, in Modern two. Masters 2 or 1, in Standard. Right. So it allows them to have a format that can be healthy while popular. And, and a very natural breaking point for it is the Mirrodin 8th edition point because that's when the card face changed so you don't have to you know, go into a lot of depth explaining to someone very simply about their cards. You're just like, if it has the new card face, you're, you're probably good. good okay. right? And that's not confusing at all. People can understand that easily. Great. So, and, so we're still playing 60 cards. Right. We still have four of each copy. Four of each copy. 60 card deck, 15 card sideboard. Uh, four of any card. Uh -huh. um, and what a sideboard is, is normally in tournament play, you play best out of three matches. So um, after my first match, I have 15 cards that I can switch in and out of my deck with my original mm -hmm. 60, depending on the matchup. Right. Um, which and, and we'll get this in, in future episodes, but the sideboard in Modern is actually a very important tool because the format is so diverse and because each of the decks are beaten in such a specific way that having your sideboard plan is really one of the 
greater things you could do preparing for a tournament. Um, well, yeah, I'm sure, like, these guys know a ton about modern. I'm here basically as a bridge between the casual players and people who don't right. really 100% know what modern is. Uh, yeah, so those of you out there that already know about modern and already play modern, there's going to be a lot for you in the future and future episodes later in this episode even. But, yeah, we're going to have to get this stuff out of the way because you're our, you're anybody our... listening to the Command Zone that's coming over here and listening to this, like, yeah, this is a format you might think about playing because it's not too dissimilar for mediation commander in that you can play with all with most of the cards in your collection and you can right. do what you want yeah you can do cool stuff you can come up with it and 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 yeah we'll talk about that stuff later so right. well i mean for the purposes especially in the beginning episodes and jimmy will become more of this when he joins us in future episodes you're kind of the philip j fry of the group the blank slate the blanks in the sense that <laughs> in the sense you've just been you've just been frozen for 2000 years and opened up to a new world and we have to explain everything what? to you <laughs> I just, what happened i just became von solo like I, uh, and carbonite notice i'm, I'm well, we said han solo, yeah, we said han solo. Well, i don't i don't find it coincidental that you decided to say han solo <laughs> but that's really you know kind of a whole different like, thing we're basically the same i'm the han solo i'm the chewbacca you're Philip J. Fry. I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to argue with those three assignments. I'd be a fool to say otherwise. <laughs> Actually, I guess you'd be the Luke Skywalker in that analogy because you're new to the world of everything but Tatooine and your yeah, desert hobble. Very, very naive. You know, I know you've been, I'm, I know still you've been going with, I'm still going with Han Solo. I'm <laughs> still going with Han Solo. We're going to with the G19 back at Tatooine. <laughs> right. Wow, this we're conversation is... <laughs> wow. If it couldn't get more dorky. Um, so, yeah. So, modern is... is a format that allows you to play in tournaments, but it's a format that is kind of an easy segue from the casual collector, from the EDH player, from someone who's been grabbing these cards over time. Mm -hmm. um, and it is also a format that, from a financial perspective, in a long-term financial perspective, mm -hmm. is going to be cheaper for you to play. Because you can jump in the modern, buy one deck, and hold on to it forever. If you Which is get in, just dig your claws in, and this is where I am, this is what I'm going to be doing while I'm here. Modern's a great format for that. Yeah, it's really appealing because, you know, uh, Magic is a pretty spendy game. And, you know, people who play Magic tend to be people who are, like, min-maxers. They want to get value. You know, you play the creatures right. with the most value. And I also want to purchase cards that are going to give me the yeah, most value. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, that's just a natural personality that lines up with playing the game to begin with. So here I am, and I'm trying to figure out, like, uh, standard, modern, legacy. There's all these choices. Some of them are pretty expensive. I don't want to go into the wrong one. You know, so what's the case for modern? I think one of the main reasons, or one of the reasons we're definitely going to go for into first, is uh, affordability, um, which is kind of the thing you don't expect, because modern is normally assumed, oh, all the cards are 40 plus dollars, it's really expensive, how am I going to like get It's like technically one of the eternal formats, right? Yeah, it's an eternal yeah. format. That, so, you know, that like, usually means expensive to me in my mind. Right, and, you know, it, people's minds think, oh, I need fetch lands and Tarmogoyfs. Um But in reality... In the long run, modern is the format that, by investing in it, you're going to protect yourself and save the most money over an extended period of time. Yeah, it, it's really easy to look at those $200 Tarmogoyfs and think, holy, like, I don't want to be investing into that. But you also have to remember, those are the same Tarmogoyfs that were, like, 100 two and a half years ago. So all the people who thought that two and a half years ago wound up out $100, essentially, on themselves. Plus, the, the cards hold their value so well because without rotation you are just always be able to play the cards, especially if they're powerful enough. Right, and when it comes down to it, if I'm going to start playing competitive Magic, I'm Johnny Magic starting tomorrow, and I choose Modern or Standard. If I choose Standard, at first, Standard will be cheap. I just have to buy whatever cards I'm drafting with, or I just buy what covers coming out. But a year from now, all those cards are now worth less money, and even less time, according to the announcement that just came out. So 
it, you know, Magic and Standard is so volatile and the amount of money I'm buying a box every set that comes out, that's an extra 100 100 $200 that I'm mm-hmm. spending every time new cards come out. And all of that money disappears after 18 months. Wow. So it's kind of like a long-term res- decision versus a short-term decision. Right, right, right. Sure. And it ends up that, as far as my experience goes, and I think you guys' experiences, once you kind of start playing Magic, and if you're thinking of being competitive in Magic in any way, you're kind of already drinking the Kool-Aid, so you're going to want to think in the long term instead of thinking very short-minded. Right. I also think, like, um, you know, just listening to you talk about it, it sounds like like a lot of kitchen table players out there are sort of searching for a format that they can unify their, you know, playgroup towards. And if it's not EDH, it's really hard to find a format that, you know, you can still have a certain level of competition among your friends, but it allows me to play all the cards that I own. Right. You know, and, and, and Modern feels like a good middle ground where, like, you know, you're not getting destroyed by, like, a lot of the old legacy cards, but you can still play, like, almost all the cards in your in your library. Right. I mean, one of the flaws I've run into with casual magic is, you know, I've built my deck. It is using cards from the last 10 years. Right. I go to a table. I'm like, oh, I have magic. Do you want to play magic? I was like, oh, yeah, I'm a casual. All right, we both play. And he goes, you know, Black Lotus into Mox, into, right. into like... <laughs> Crazy stuff. I I'm like, like that guy's deck. <laughs> well, <laughs> that wasn't very casual. <laughs> but you know, it's, his deck's not a vintage deck. It's not something that like he's tuned to play. It's right. just he's been playing since 1994 and doesn't know what cards are worth what. Right. Um, and and modern kind of allows you a power level range that kind of lets you balance your play group while mm-hmm. also being able to go to the rest of the world and be able to sit to a table like I have this format. Let's play. Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that, and I also think it, it's important to note like modern has that kind of bridge feeling where you can pull from both people who just want to be able to play with all their cards, and also you know with a store. Uh, there are a lot of local modern events. You can't say the same for things like the guy who has his Black Lotus, or even legacy players can often struggle to find right. events to play yeah. in. But modern is a locally supported format pretty much everywhere. The support levels vary. But it's only getting bigger. Like modern right. is not going anywhere, especially the preliminary PTQ announcement. Now there's going to be like lots of weekly tournaments available. And I think that we're going to see Modern getting even more into stores as the years continue. And even if you're not playing at tournaments, what they, you know, Wizards supporting the tournaments means is they're going to continue to release product mm-hmm. for it. So you're going to be right. playing in a format that you know, Wizards is supporting. So it's not suddenly going to like, the ground's not going to go off from under your feet all of a sudden. Well, if you look at, I mean... Wizards, when they announced the Pro Tour season, they ignored, they didn't have a modern tournament. And the community reaction to it was so overwhelming that mm-hmm. within two weeks, they were like, we're sorry, here's a modern Pro Tour. <laughs> yeah, kudos they, for, the re- for the response, too. Right. No, no, I mean, it, it, one of the nice things about that is that we now know that Wizards, and we knew this beforehand, but this is another example, is that Wizards does listen to community right. feedback. And if you guys have something that you want to happen in Magic, out speaking, speaking out, going on Twitter and social media and Tumblr and actually telling the people at Wizards who, and they are there to communicate with, this is what I want, we'll get somewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got a format. It allows me to play a huge wider range of the cards that I own than, than Standard allows me to, but it's not so crazy that I have to dive into Legacy, thousands of dollars right. of stuff. So, you know... And, and and you're saying that from a long-term investment standpoint, it's maybe a little bit better than standard, um, you know, even though standard costs me less in the short term, it's just those cards rotate so fast that, you know, I'm going to have to keep buying rather than right. be able to stick in modern for a little while. So what else is cool about the format that would sort of, you know, get me going, uh, you know, get me excited to, to play it? The brewing aspect is one of my personal favorite bits. Uh, in my column, I do this a lot where I'm finding the weird decks people are playing online uh, and, and on Moto, you know, there's just always something available as far as the weird decks go. And the card pool is so huge, 
and the overall power level of the format is not really high enough to just drown out everything. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to do something sweet and your deck is reasonably competitive, you'll be able to get matches. Like your cards are not so much worse than theirs. Uh, and, and the format's also relatively fair. There are combo decks, but Wizards has specifically kind of engineered the format to get rid of most of the really fast kills. Right. Uh, there's, so there's no yeah. consistent kill of modern uh, before turn four. Yeah, you've got you've got room. Uh, there there are the occasional you know summer bloom amulet of vigor primeval type, my personal favorite deck uh, that can, can sometimes get you on turn three. But uh, but it's rare, is what you're saying. Right. There, yeah, there are it, decks that can get unusual. you on turn three, but it's they get you on turn three one out of fifty games and. <laughs> and the legacy equivalent, right? Well, legacy equivalent. Uh, they actually, ugh, sorry, they've actually put out the format so that legacy is around a turn three, vintage is a turn two format game, and uh, modern is a turn four, and then standard is supposed to be turn five, turn six, turn seven, depending on what flavor of the year. But, it is. but when you say that, you mean that's the turn where the game sort of ends, or serious. where it's. I would say that that's kind of like the fundamental turn of Mm -hmm. the format. Like, that's where someone's going to start being like, this is how I'm going to try and kill you. And you have to respond or die. Uh (laughs) That's that's pretty much your choice. An example is one of the, the, probably the biggest combo deck in the format. And and one of the cool things about Modern is that there are combo decks, Mm -hmm. but the biggest combo deck of the format is Splinter Twin. Um, And Splinter Twin, if left to its own devices, and if you are not putting any pressure onto them, can kill you on turn four. Twin is the flagship of the deck, which is it's an enchantment. It costs four mana, uh, red, and uh, when the creature that it is enchanting taps, it can tap to clone itself. Um, the way that it wins is when you put it on a creature that can untap another creature, it makes a clone of that creature, untapping the original one with Splinter Twin on it, allowing it to make another one, and another one, and right, another like one. Pestermite? I'm... Pestermite, Pestermite is an example to Zebra XR. Village Bell Ringer, if you're... You could do Midnight Guard from M15. You can yeah, do yeah, that. Guard. Um, there's some white... There's... And the Splinter Twin also, like, it's just for one for that turn, right? Yeah, it's so, just for that turn. And it has haste, And so. it does give the token haste. Yeah, that's, that's really important because that's what makes it an instant kill. So you basically want to tap it to make a copy of any creature that would then untap it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that you can tap it again, yeah. infinite time. And it's the, an infinite combo. Right. And the best ones normally are instant speed. So on turn three, end of the turn, they play their Deceiver X arc. And then on their on their turn, they put the enchantment on the creature right. and mm-hmm. go. As a commander EDH player, I have a special place in my heart for infinite combos. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, so that kind of segues into the next point. You know, one of the problems with standard arguably, is that the power level can be actually very low. And some parts of Magic, at least this is my own personal taste, is I like feeling like an almighty powerful wizard right. when I'm defeating my opponents. And in Standard, it feels a lot more like grindy, you know, I'm playing Pack mm-hmm. Rat a thousand times, playing the same spells every turn, playing the same decks, because there's only really three decks in the format uh-huh. at most times. And in Modern, the power level is so high, I feel like, oh, I can just defeat this person playing this unlimited super combo that's going to make an infinite army to destroy the high level of powerful feeling in the format that you it is a little bit more it's fun. kind of the reason we got into playing magic yeah. in, in the first place i right. mean you didn't actually get into playing magic to play a bunch of two threes you know you got right. into like make an infinite right. army it's not about whatever. grinding your opponent to their down it's about i get to play with cards like birthing pod or cards like splinter twin where you're like feeling like the almighty powerful mm-hmm. warrior i definitely think one of the big appeals is people own the magic cards that they buy and modern is the best place to be able to play them regardless of when they bought them you know if you got into standard two or three years ago even if like you were like hyper competitive then and then you kind of languished, like most modern decks are actually older standard decks just revitalized with newer cards like the black ring mid-range decks 
Jund and Junk, those decks have been you know, palling around for forever, and right. it's really just like a focused down version of that same kind of strategy. Mm -hmm. uh, Birthing Pod, that strategy existed, and it was much, much worse when it was in Standard, but it's certainly like very good in Modern. We've mentioned Birthing Pod a couple in... times. Do you guys want to explain that card? I, I've uh, seen... Yeah, Birthing yeah. Pod is a uh, converted mana cost four, but it's Phyrexian mana, so you can pay two life to make it down to three, and it's green, but you don't actually need any green mana to play with it. Uh, thanks to Phyrexian Mana. What a joyful mechanic it is. Uh, so once <laughs> Phyrexian Pod, Mana lets you pay life instead of the, the yeah. colored part of the mana yep. cost. Yeah. So once the Birthing Pod is in play, uh, you can pay one and either a green mana or two life for the Phyrexian. Sacrifice a creature and search your library for a creature that has converted mana cost one more than the creature you sacrificed. And the deck essentially uses Birthing Pod to chain together value creatures. Uh, mm -hmm. Creatures that either have triggers when they leave play... When they come into play, sometimes both. Kitchen Finks is the marquee creature in the deck, probably fueling the vast majority of its research of its uh, chains to go ahead and get resources. And Kitchen Finks has um... Kitchen Finks has persist for when it leaves the battlefield to come back, and when it comes in play, it gains two life. Uh, it can largely be blamed for the death of Wild Nacatl, uh, as far as uh, being like a super competitive format. Wild Nacatl being an early three drop or one drop three three, I should say, and. Uh -huh those aggressive decks really kind of find it hard to power through turn two or turn three Kitchen Finks being so consistent. Because you can block twice and gain life, yeah, and it's, right. yeah, that's brutal. Sounds like a super fun format, a lot of brewing possibilities. There's been a big announcement recently. Uh, Mark Rosewater had a, an article called Metamorphosis. Uh, he's talking about, like, a new rotation scheduled. I mean, do you want to explain that? Like, I'm pretty casual. I, I think I got it, but... Right. So what they basically announced, and this is actually good for everyone, and as a casual player it'll be great for you, is that they're no longer doing a core set, and they're now doing two blocks a year. Mm -hmm. um, classically, uh, from their perspective as a design, uh, designing the cards, the three-set paradigm made it really hard to kind of make everything exciting. And an example of this is, so this last year in, for Theros block, they knew this was a problem. So they're like, okay, we're going to save all the exciting stuff for uh, Journey into Nyx. And that made it so Born of the Gods was boring and no good cards were in it and it was right. like no one really enjoyed it. And then Journey the Next was like, well, we wanted Constellation six months ago and now we don't mm -hmm. get it. So they like kind of messed up, and majorly, majorly messed up the entire block because they were trying to kind of balance this act of we have to extend this story and this mechanics and this card and this environment for three blocks. So to kind of fix that, they've now added an entire new block and only doing two blocks for two sets per block two blocks per year, and there's no longer a core set. So um, we're going to get the same amount of sets that we would have got before. Yes. But instead of a core set and a third set, we're just getting an entirely new block. Entirely new, new block. Uh, an example of kind of how this will work is if you look, for people that have been playing for a while, or if you look and you look it up online, uh, Shadowmoor and Lowerwind block. Mm -hmm. A block that was too many blocks within the mm -hmm. whole full year. Yeah. Um, allowing it, it... They did it all in one world, so what we'll be getting is two entire new stories, and Wizards just hired an entire secondary, basically, creative team to go with the creative team they already had so they can handle two entire new mm -hmm. blocks. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot more right. world building, I'm um, assuming, yeah. The other major change that is coming along with this, and this was to make standard a little bit better in the long run, but also more expensive to get into, um, is that standard is now only going to last 18 months. So every new block, the last block, rotates out. Yeah. Um, what this does is it makes it so that you're going to have to keep rebuying into standard, which will make it very expensive, but... What it ends up doing is it makes the, for competitive play, it'll be mixed up more often. So, right. so you'll be able to, like last year, for instance, you had to watch Pack Rat all year. You had to watch uh, Thassa in Mono Blue all year, or you had to watch Supreme Verdict and Six of Revelation decks all year, which is Blue White being the major deck in standard three years in a row. Um, <laughs> and 
in that vein, it became very grindy when there's only three good decks in a format. For an entire year that haven't changed since Theros came out, they kind of decided, and this is the like fifth year this has happened in a row where one deck really dominated all yeah. year. One to three decks dominated all so year. So the format's getting solved. Like, yeah, absolutely yeah. Right. solved. Exactly. Yeah. So this will make it so there's less time for it to be solved. Yeah, a bit, one of the problems, or I shouldn't say one of the problems, but one of the sort of aspects of the game that kind of heavily contributed to that was you know, we didn't have things like the StarCityGames.com Open Series or the massive online data for right. decklists, mm-hmm. just sort of homogenizing formats really quickly. Mm-hmm. Like Before, it could actually take the full three or six months to figure out what the best deck during a given format was. Uh, but now, with the grind of Magic Online and all right. of these larger local events occurring... People are finding the best deck faster. They're they're optimizing it faster, and, and you know, then you're done. And yeah, designing a set right. to like be able to withstand that high level of scrutiny by your players is really difficult. I mean, they're you know the future future league can only do so much. It can't design right. a format that's constantly shifting right, right and, beneath and your feet. One of the issues that is one of the ways to do that is create very powerful cards, but that's what breaks magic. Like right. Pack Red is an example of a card that maybe they made to try and mix things up. Like maybe this card will come out of left field, and no one expects that card to be good. But then it just, once people figure it out, it's the only card that's good. And it takes them two years to print a new set, so they don't have the time to respond to these problems. Right. Um, And because the card selection is so small, there's normally not answers. And that kind of brings us back to one of the reasons, and the next step I kind of want to be like, why I think Modern is better than Standard, is the size of the card pool allows for, A, there to be more than multiple, hundreds of good, not hundreds, but probably around 20 good, Mm -hmm. dozen good, tier one, tier two strategies that are completely viable to take to a tournament. And along with that, it also offers enough answers to be able... There's no deck in Modern, and they've purposely done this, um, that there aren't answers to. There's no deck that you mm-hmm. can't... If I need to beat Affinity, I know I need to bring Shadowstorm. If I need to bring Noggles, I need to bring Anti-Enchantment decks. You know, there are, there are cards that exist to beat every deck. Safety valves. Safety valves. Mm-hmm. And you can't really do that in, mod- in Standard because the turnaround time is so long for how long it's there. Right, it takes longer to design something. It takes two come. years for them to design, a, for a card to go yeah. from design to being printed. And standard is now less than two years long, so by the time they know there's a problem, by the time they can get an answer to it, and they've gotten better at knowing yeah. ahead of time what there's probably going to be problems with. But it's difficult to evaluate, you know, and right. when you get it wrong, you don't really have the ability to fix it. When You, you brought up the example of Packrat, and that case for Wizards, actually, like, their mono black decks in the future, future were not as good as the ones everyone else figured out. Like, most of the biggest deal was, like, none of their decks unified Packrat and Desecration Demon and Grey Merchant. Like, right. those three elements were, like, showing up in other decks, but not all in the same deck right. uh, in the future future league. And so that wound up getting this whole system where they were actually printing in Board of the Gods things to make Black better. That's why you saw Drown and Sauron Bio Black, because they thought the Black deck would need help. But instead, we found a format where we were going into Born of the Gods with it was already King of the Hill, right. and we just see it getting more weapons. Yeah, Mono Black got better. And Mono Blue just stayed super strong, yeah. and then no, like Brimaz showed up, but it just didn't do enough to kind of really. Yeah, I, I think Brimaz was probably one of the the larger misses because that card is on such an incredible power level, and it's like just so narrowly knocked out of being right, really influential. Yeah. Um, we would expect to have two years with these cards right. before they rotate, but now we're only gonna have eighteen months. Which yes. me as a casual player, like that's twenty five percent less time. With the cards, which right. really makes me think, you know, I was getting kind of a little bit excited about Sandra. I've been playing Magic more. We've been doing the podcast, hanging out with you guys, more competitive stuff. You know, I've just been thinking in that direction. And now all of a sudden it's like, wah, wah, wah. All of a sudden, like 25% less value for buying those cards. Right. You know, so now it's like modern's just looking a whole lot better to me. Right. Like, 
anything I buy in modern, at least I know it's going to be useful right. and the, good the, and playable for years to come. In standard, it's all about metagaming. It's knowing what's going to be good next week. Or is there going to be a lot of mono black this week? Well, if there's going to be a lot of mono black, I should play deck X because that deck is better against mono black. Or if mono black is going to be good, I should be playing black white because blood baron. Or if you know mono blue is going to be good, I should be playing decks that are good against mono blue. Where modern is very much, I'm going to get good at Splinter Twin. I'm going to become the Splinter mm-hmm. Twin master because I'm going to be rewarded more in this format because there are so many available options that I'm going to be more rewarded that I'm just very good at playing my deck and I can commit to my deck. And financially, I'll be supported by Wizards for committing to my deck. Mm-hmm. Um, and these cards will not go anywhere. There's no rotation after, so I'm, I, there's no end point for me being good at this deck. And that's really why one of the strong points of Modern. It's one of the strong points yeah. of any Eternal format. Right. right. Being able to specialize in a deck is just not to be understated. Like, the players who are masters of their craft consistently outperform the players who aren't. And it's another way that you can get an edge on people who are, you know, strictly speaking, perhaps better Magic players than you. If you know the matchup better, if you know your deck better, right. you're going to get those percentage points. Um, like specifically, if, I know uh, Adam Barnell over at Channel Fireball, he, like, hardcore specialized in Splinter Twin going into the PTQs and then just immediately spiked, like, the first one he played. Right. And it's because he put all that time in. Right. It's not a coincidence. It's not. We're standard. A lot of it is just overly good play or overly, like, I have to be a master at competitive play-to-play standard. Mm-hmm. Modern allows you to be like, I'm going to be really good at Affinity. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take this deck. I, I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn the ins and outs. I'm going to master it. And Affinity is not the easiest deck to master, but if you spend the time on it, you'll be successful. Yeah. You can do much better... And without as much effort or, like, general understanding of everything in the world of Magic, as a casual player coming into competitive, that seems very appealing, knowing that I'm going to pick my baby, I'm going to love my baby, I'm going to raise it until it is a teenager into an adult, and then I'm going to use it to beat people up. (laughs) Make sure you choose wisely. Don't use your actual baby that way. (laughs) You know, disclaimer. I mean, you know what's what's just occurring to me right now is another upside is that, you know, like, I'm a busy guy, I'm an adult, I have a job, I, I can't go to FNM every week, I can't play standard all the time. It, it With all the fast rotation, you know, it, with modern, I just have a lot more time to get good at my deck than mm-hmm. I would with standard. Like, right. I, if I can't, like, play it a lot within 18 months, then I'll never get that very good right. at it. But I can be, you know spent three years getting to know my uh, my modern deck and then at that point I feel really comfortable and really right. good with it but that's okay I have that amount of time you know so. in non-rotating formats I definitely tell people to find a deck that they enjoy and are gonna like want to have mastered when they get done with it because mm-hmm. you know you don't want to have like a year rolls around and you're like you know I've been playing this deck for a year and it's kind of boring you know you definitely mm-hmm. want to pick a deck you very closely identify with it's a strategy you find fun right. And I think that that's really essential. I mean, you don't have to do that. It's just like any format. You could have two or three decks, right? I yeah, mean, sure. Yeah, 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 yeah whatever. Yeah, yeah. You can still play it that way if you want to. I would to, still but... choose decks you like because yeah, you don't course. want to be selling in and out of modern right. No, play decks you hate. It's, just it's... play <laughs> decks you hate over and over and over. You know, that, that sounds fun. It's definitely a format that benefits more from maybe trying your friend's versions of decks uh-huh. before jumping the leap to invest. You sort but of dip your toe in the water? Because uniformly the decks are very similar. You know, a a... Affinity deck is going to be very similar to the next Affinity deck to the next Affinity deck. Just going to have a few different cards. And there's going to be a few different cards, and, and we'll actually go in later today some of the different choices you can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, once in a while, Standard will offer something different. Affinity example in Soul, in Soul Artifact. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Soul Artifact was added in M15. And it's uh, uh, one in a blue makes an artifact into a 5 5. Yes. That's correct. And. It kind of turned... Don't, don't drop the... that thing. It sucks, by the way. Don't, don't <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Some whoa, of us have had some yeah. real whoa, success. Blue red. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Um, it's a well, trap. <laughs> it kind of turns the match on its, head, on its head because 
the cards that are normally good against Affinity aren't good against Soul Artifact. Because uh -huh. you can get in cases, in yeah. indestructible 5-5 five five, that the way to get rid of it is kill enchantments and no one brings in enchantment removal against Affinity. Right. That's not completely true. And if they do, double. you're not that sad about right, it. Right, right, right. There's no, like, amazing enchantment and artifact removal spells that you need. Like, Affinity is a matchup of killing as many as you can. Right. And most of the cards that are both enchantment and artifact destruction are very singular and focused. Yeah, the only notable exception that's heavily played in modern is really a wear tear out of the blue-white-red right, sideboards. Right, right, right. Mm -hmm. yeah, which is a split card for yeah. enchantment and artifact. Does green-white play... Um, Birthing Pod has access to like Reclamation Sage and stuff like right, that. Creatures right. that trigger when they come into play and it can destroy things, but those are already quite good against you. So you're not like losing anything. They'd right, still right. just destroy an artifact. Yeah, exactly. So it would, yeah. If you weren't playing a soul artifact, you'd just be losing something else. Right, right. <laughs> Another point uh, that we kind of want to get into and is that it's kind of the Brewer's Dreamland and, and something that Standard does offer in the first month of Standard existing, but then it kind of tapers off once the format is kind of solved is you get to have the ability to invent. Uh -huh. and, and from my perspective, the reason I got into Magic is I like taking a thing that I created in my head and with my hands and then seeing how well it's going to do against other things that people create with their hands and their brain and try figuring out. You're a Johnny. Not a Johnny the Planeswalker, but <laughs> a Johnny. It's always hard to say that. I should have named it somebody else. Well, until you said been that, a Bobby. I was fine. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now we're confused. <laughs> and to be fair, Johnny was here before a Johnny. Yeah, so, yeah. So, that's so really, they should have. Really so the should be named. So, okay. Yeah, his parents should have named him something different. <laughs> so it's it's the um, what do they call that? The um, psycho. The psychographics. Yeah. So the psychographics of magic are Timmy, Johnny, and Spike, and they all take the reason they play magic from different perspectives. Um, and sometimes people get them wrong, but their personality really types. To, it's their personality types, yeah. and and the reason people, you know, Spike is all about being better. Um, Johnny is all about kind of it's style. kind of showing off and style. It's it's wanting people yeah. to know how great you're doing at things. You don't want to just beat somebody; you want to beat them in style, right? Yeah. And and Timmy is enjoying the game just because it's a game. Or you enjoying the game of magic for what the game of magic is. He's like, cool, I have a seven, eight, eight creature and yeah. I'm swinging at you, isn't that? Classic, right. Yeah. But really, it's like how they each derive joy from different ways Aspects, to play yeah. magic. Yeah. And, and, you know, Spike gets it from I'm better than people. But people think that makes them competitive. That really necessarily means that they want to prove to themselves how, like, they want to get better. Yeah, it doesn't make them mean. It just means that's the part of the game that they find the most fun is right. when they're victorious. And, you know, Johnny is kind of always like, oh, they want to do combos or whatever. But really what it is is that they just want to think of something that someone else hasn't thought of so that they can tell people, look what I thought of. They really, <laughs> want, their, they really want their opponent to be like, wow, I've never seen anybody yeah, do like, that before. What are you doing? Yeah, holy Wait, crap. Oh, you I'm can dead? do that? Oh. <laughs> yeah. I, I always think of Johnny's as the kind of player who wants to bring an idea to life. That's like what all of his decks and his plays are generally going to be like conducive right. to. He had an idea. He wants to see it manifest in front of him. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a winning idea. It can just oh, be yeah. something cool. Yeah. But that's what he's going for. I'm really surprised Kessler is a Johnny. I always thought of him as a Spike. I'm definitely a Johnny. Glenn, what are you? Oh, I'm as spiky as they come. <laughs> I don't mind doing the occasional cool thing, but uh, I want to sign that match slip and take it home. <laughs> which, which means that you'll probably kill me every time we play. Well, I'd certainly uh, try, <laughs> shall we say. So, you know, for example, I spent, not this last year, because I spent on the, a, a brew that is a little more spiky and a little <laughs> less um, like, oh, look at the cool thing I'm doing. But the year before that, I spent a lot of time on a Glittering Wish, uh, Sovereigns of La Solara, uh, Eldrazi Conscription on a Geist of St. Trap deck. And I'll explain all those cards. <laughs> <Wow>. So, <laughs> Glittering Wish is a card that is a green-white, a, uh, green 
and it lets you search your sideboard for any gold card and put it into your hand. Okay. Um, and what I would do with it is search for Sovereigns of La Solara, which is a six cost, um, four or five or whatever, uh, six five creature, a six cost creature that when another or itself attacks by itself, it has exalted. Right. Um, you can search your deck for any aura enchantment and attach it to that creature attacking. And Eldrazi construction. It makes it big. It makes it big. <laughs> what is it like? Plus, 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 10, plus, plus 10, 10, plus 10. Annihilator 1, which is just Annihilator a 2 and Trample. Right, yes. Yeah, so, serious business. It, in all likelihood, I would kill them. Right. <laughs> if, if, you, if, you, if not on the first swing, then certainly on the second. Right. And Geist of St. Traff being hexproof, obviously an ideal, yes. uh, I can't say target really, but uh, <laughs> an ideal uh, choice. A creature to have it attached to. Yeah. It, 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 you know, and, and in a format like modern, because you know something we didn't step on, but life totals are a little actually reduced because most decks are playing with shock lands and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. fetch lands and things that lower your life total. You know, you can hit for eighteen the turn that a Johnny attacks, and that's normally enough to kill a person. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, it involves playing a two cost sorcery that doesn't do anything to get a creature that mm-hmm. costs six mana two turns later to play while having. So it didn't really mesh together, but the fact that all of these cards were available to the extent that I could make this deck and it would function and be almost good enough to play is insane. Yeah, that I mean, like, how, how did it do? Like, how did you t- actually take I it? I generally through? would go, like, in the four tournaments I played it mm-hmm. in, I would generally go game one, just win. Game two, get really close. Game three, lose. Big sideboard. <laughs> you. Yeah. yeah. They'd sideboard and then, like, game one I would win because sometimes I would just either win on the back of... It ends up that guy's decision draft with, you know, um, Exalted is just good by itself. Uh-huh. That's true. Um, and it, <laughs> well, you get the Brewer's advantage, too, which is like, they don't know what to counter, they don't right. know they what to... they think the Geist is the big thing they need to yeah. worry about, and they don't realize that, oh no, Glittering Wish into this. Or, like, the deck also played Lotus Cobra, which is a two-mana creature that lets you ramp really quickly mm-hmm. um, using Landfall. So, like, they think, oh, I need to kill that now, and they don't realize, oh, I should save that Path to Exile to, for that Sovereign's <laughs> It's just going to kill me. Yeah. So... It, it, it had some unique, really cool things, and, and overtly the game plan was powerful. It just was very clunky. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it, it was fun. It was always fun to play. The faces people would have when I was playing it, and people would walk by and be like, is that an Eldrazi conscription on this <laughs> <laughs> What's going on over here? <laughs> was great. And that was what was important to me, and that's one of the reasons I love Modern is because it has this huge card library available. So you can do crazy, right. awesome stuff like um, that. Yeah, that sounds really cool. Right. It sounds closer to EDH than standard does. Yes, you know, which, yeah, exactly. As a casual EDH guy, like, that's, yeah, that's good for me. In reality, because of the card pool size in standard and because of, especially now, how volatile it's going to be, you are going to be way better off. If you want to have fun at a tournament, which means winning some amount of your games and mm-hmm, not just getting mm-hmm. smoked all day, right. looking up what deck you should play. Um, in modern, the fact that a the card pool is so large that you could create something that no one knows, no, like oh I didn't know that was possible. Oh those three cards that I knew were overtly powerful mm-hmm. by themselves, but have never found a home. Oh if you put them together, they're really good. Mm-hmm. That, it's a, do you think it's a format that's solved yet? Then I think that the format is balanced, uh-huh. but not necessarily fully solved. Which is great because it means that you can come in and you can at least try and solve it. Right. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely there's still room to explore, and as sets get released. Like, this power gap between Standard and Modern is way smaller than the power, be- power gap between Standard and Legacy. Mm-hmm. So the cards that are printed in Standard totally can, like, be in contention. Like, I wouldn't be surprised. We've seen in Solar Effect. I would not be surprised to see Goblin Rabble Master making his way into Modern. He's, like, 
of an appropriate power level. Right. For yeah. That do right, right. do draft that guy. I mean, yeah, Definitely yeah. draft that guy. Any creature that generates another creature like pretty much immediately <laughs> yeah. is relatively you know high impact in a lot of these attrition based formats. And I think modern is like a super attrition format. So. Well, I like what you said there too. The fact that it's still being influenced means it's still changing. Mm-hmm. So that yeah, it's still even if it sort of got solved yeah. at some point, you, you it would still take, be evolving. Take right. a card like Birthing Pod, which you mentioned earlier, which you know searches the deck. For a creature, like every time a creature gets printed, it's potentially a target for yeah, birthing that's a pod. Really point, right? That's a really good point. That's a really good point. That is a a cool thing if you like playing with birthing pod. It's a pretty you know obstinate thing if you work at Wizards of the Coast because you have to make sure you never accidentally break birthing <laughs> pod, <laughs> which has been known to every now and then happen. Well, I mean that's what I mean, it, and this is going a little bit back in standards of days past. Um, but Stoneforge Mystic, that's what happened there. They printed yeah. Stoneforge Mystic and Zendikar because they're like, oh, the core here, and they. They're, they're these white people that like kind of like equipment, so let's make one that tutors it, and mm-hmm. let's give it an ability to put them in the play for fun, because why not? And equipments aren't that good. And then they didn't think, oh, wait, next year is Scars of Mirrodin. We're going to make awesome equipment. Like, yeah. we're not only going to make awesome equipment, the cycles we've decided we're going to finish require us to make overpowered ones. And then the, the swords we're referring to are the swords to the swords of Body of Mind, Swords of War, War and Peace, 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 and famine. Peace and Famine, Shadow and... Light, light, light and shadow, and fire and ice, fire and ice are the original two. Um, and the light and shadow and fire and ice were printed in Mirrodin, and when they wanted to finish the cycle, they had to follow the same pattern as those. But those came out in the first sets to ever have equipment, so they didn't know what they were doing. And right. if you look in the original Mirrodin block. Mm-hmm. The most powerful equipment ever printed is in there because they hadn't figured it out. Yet. Because they didn't have, yeah. they didn't realize. Oh, skull clamp, which is, lets you draw infinite cards. Is going fun to be fun good. fact about skull clamp: the design file for skull clamp said. Somebody's some fun decks are going to really like this card. <laughs> That's an actual quote. It's, it turns it's out some unfun right. decks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's banned like in everything but vintage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was banned in standard within like three months of it coming wow. out. Yeah. Um, one of the most broken cards ever printed. Equipment. Because they didn't know what they were doing. And these were kind of the next tier above that and most powerful from that set. Uh-huh. And so they had to follow that. But they also had to like come up with new abilities. So like keep up that level of power level for equipment. So if they wanted to make equipment more in that set in a creative way, it had to be comparable. So then Batter Skull happened. <laughs> and there's a reason Stoneforge Mystic is now banned in every format <laughs> that you could play it in. Right. So do you want to explain? Stoneforge Mystic we know tutors mm-hmm. up equipment and puts it into play. Yeah. Batter Skull is is a is a very complicated. It's a five cost <laughs> equipment, so normally wouldn't be that easy to get into play. That when it comes into play, creates a creature attached to it and gives it plus four, plus four life link and vigilance. Yeah. And the batter at, skull itself can be bounced to your hand, so you can recycle right. this interaction with Stoneforge at instant speed. You can return the battle skull back to your hand, and with Stoneforge Misty, you can play it for two mana at an uncounterable. Yeah level of Constantly threatening a turn three, four, four vigilance lifelinker has proven to be quite good in legacy right. and quite illegal in all other parts. <laughs> <laughs> good in vintage. Yeah, uh, I just mm. <laughs> So that I think that kind of points us at all the different, you know, real reasons we think as a group, and obviously there are other opinions, but we think as a group that modern is a format. So if you want to get into the competitive magic, this is the one to get into. Mm-hmm. Classically stores tell you standard and Really, our opinion is that modern is most likely the safest, most fun, and easiest format to really sink your teeth into. I think well, it's the best bridge format. Yeah. yeah, and stores have a vested interest in keeping you in standard because it's, you buy more cards. Yeah, it's just continuously. We're not looking out for cards. the store; we're looking out for you guys, fellow listeners and friends. He just pointed at the microphone. I just want to <laughs> let everyone know yeah. you luck. can't see it, but we saw the inexplicable point. <laughs> <laughs> pointed at all of you. 
So, okay, this sounds really cool. I'm really excited. Like, um, let's get into some deck tech. Right. Like, what so, are we talking about? So every week, um, the walkie through guy I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, we are going to do a tech deck. And, you know, what we're going to try and do is mix it up between brews and not brews, but, you know, especially in the beginning, focus on a step-by-step process through the major pillars of the format. Mm-hmm. And we're going to also try and do it from an affordability level. So, you know, we're going to start today with Affinity, because um, we mentioned it a couple times in the podcast already. And... You know, next we'll, next week, we'll, I think we're going to do Merfolk, and then we're going to start with some of the easier, but less expensive decks to get into the format, mm-hmm. eventually ending on the Birthing Pod and Jund and, yeah, Tarmogoyf-based decks, and get into the little bit more expensive decks, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's kind of the process we're going to go through. Yeah. Um, so Affinity, you know, my only real experience playing it is Modern Masters, like, it was one of the draft uh, right. archetypes. Right, yeah. and Soul Artifact and Shrapnel Blast. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, I think we right. talked about that. So, is Affinity blue-white, or is it... Mm, Affinity, Affinity is a, not, I know it's a artifact color-specific based, right? archetype oh, okay. in Modern, which is kind of unique. Uh, it, it varies. You can decide on what colors you're going to use, which we're going to dive into those options a little later. But let's first just talk about what Affinity actually is, because it identifies with its strategy much more than its colors. Right. So Uh, It's a swarm-style aggressive deck, which is different from a deck that's trying to curve out with like a one-drop, a two-drop, a three-drop. No, this deck's just like throwing its hand onto the board and coming at you all cylinders. Um, So it's aggro. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, It's actually probably the only exceptionally tier one Aggro strategy in the format. Oh, okay. It is certainly the best, uh, like I, I would say, like one-dimensionally aggressive strategy in right. the format. Now, uh, affinity usually denotes um, artifacts. Right. So, affinity is actually based on the keyword affinity, uh-huh. uh, which amusingly there are no affinity cards left. <laughs> in uh, the there affinity was deck. one. It's blue, and it lets you draw cards. <laughs> there are no affinity cards playing good versions of <laughs> uh, right now. But yeah, the the affinity keyword uh, made artifacts cheaper based on the number of artifacts already in play. So it rewarded playing a deck filled with artifacts. Now there are other cards that reward you playing a deck full of artifacts. But it's still artifacts are, are important. Right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's artifacts it's, are important. The play style is very similar. And what the play style really is, as mm-hmm. we said, is is player hold a handout, swarm, and then once they start being able to stop the swarm, use these exceptionally powerful cards that are benefited by how many artifacts you play to pierce through their defenses mm-hmm. and murder them. Yeah, one of the things that makes Affinity so good is the common uh, vulnerability for Swarm-style decks has always been sweepers, because your opponent kills all your things, yeah. gets a bunch of card advantage, yep. you can't recover. Uh, Affinity has an exceptional backup plan uh, against sweepers, which is it has great man lands in Blink Moth Nexus and Ink Moth Nexus, two lands that turn into 1-1 flyers, so they're evasive and sources of damage that aren't going to be vulnerable to sorcery speed sweepers. They're like flying mutabots? Uh, essentially, yeah. And yeah, then they've also got uh, an Etch Champion, which is protection from all colors as long as you have three artifacts in play. Which you also do, Also not vulnerable to much and, and very difficult to block. And, you know, outside of that, you also have Arcbound Ravager, which can turn all of those guys into a giant guy, which can survive a lot of stuff like Anger of the Gods. Right, and, and if, if I'm an Affinity player and I'm playing against someone that's tapped out, an example is that there are a few cards that let me just go all in, and if they, they don't block one of my creatures, I can just it, kill them mm-hmm. out of nowhere. Because I can either, with Arcbound Ravager, which is a artifact that lets you sack artifacts for plus one, plus one counters, mm-hmm. and then if it dies, you can move those plus one counters to something else. So Arcbound Ravager, you can attack with everything. They could block your Arcbound Ravager, but forget about your... Whichever one thing doesn't get blocked, you yeah, put all the counters on that. And you just move all the counters to that guy, sack everything else you own, Kill and he's now a 10-10 that just kills them. The deck can pretty <clears throat> seamlessly transition from being just a bunch of creatures to almost a combo deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons that it can do that is it has Arcbound Ravager, which you just mentioned, a, cr- a card capable of essentially transforming any card on the board into a plus-one, plus-one counter, and then moving it wherever you want. Uh, and also Cranial Sounds Plating. Good. 
which boosts your creature's power based on the number of artifacts it's you have. A, another one of those equipments mm -hmm. from a set where equipments were too good. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, the, combined, here. those cards, they, they actually work very well with both plans for the affinity deck, whether you're swarming with evasive little guys, like Vault Scourge and Signal Pest, which have a, a you know strong flying evasion. You can put either Arf Ravager's counters or the Cranial Plating on it, get through in the sky. Or, if you've got the more durable Man Lancer Edge Champion, they also would love to receive a bunch of counters or a large power boost. So that's really the key, is the Cranial Plating and the Arcbound Ravager synergizing with both plans. They let you really just come at the opponent on multiple angles and keep the pressure on pretty much every turn of the game. Plus, let's be honest, this is the one deck in Magic's history where four main deck Ornithopters are legal. So. <laughs> I was going to say, I saw Ornithopter on the deck list and I was like, oh, hell yeah. Uh, for those don't, who don't, know, don't, don't drop that card. Ornithopter is 0-2 Ornithopter. Don't do it. Creature. It's a 0-2 creature that is free. It's an artifact creature that flies mm -hmm. and the major important things are that it's free, an artifact, and that it flies. Yeah, um, in, in combination with uh, Arcbound Ravager, Master of Ethereum, Signal Pest, and Cranial Plating, it can become a pretty significant offensive threat, and in conjunction with Mox Opal and Springleaf Drum, it's a good source of mana early in the game. So it really kind of fills two very good roles in the I mean, if you're playing Ornithopter, you're just trying to get any artifact for as cheap as you can, basically, Well, that's right? not even true, really, because the deck can run four Mennonites, but it doesn't. Oh. It's specifically Ornithopter that's right. really, you know, great. And, and part of that is the flying takes it over mm -hmm, the level. The flying. Because... This is a form oh, where Tarmogoyf is on the ground. Right. And Midnight is very bad against Tarmogoyf. <clears throat> you know what is good against Tarmogoyf? Ornithopter. <laughs> and if you can move a whole bunch of counters onto it and just right. kill them in one right. hit. Plus, exactly. I think within Soul Artifact these days, like just a 5-5 five, five flyer on turn 2 right. seems good. It, it can certainly get there. Right. So, uh, I mean, that'll be... With haste. <laughs> <laughs> so, and kind of give you a history of what Affinity is. So, Affinity started in Myriad Block. This is actually a deck, a block deck, a standard deck, has been around since the literally the starting block of the, the modern format. Yeah. And... It was the first time in Modern Magic, or the the most recent time before recently in Modern Magic, that cards had to be banned in Standard. Yeah, it, it broke a, a, a tradition of not banning cards in Standard that I believe had not been broken since Urza Saga's Combo yep. Winter. So if you, if you know anything about Urza Saga, you know, cards like Tolarian Academy, which is yeah. historically one of the it's, most it's, powerful cards in Magic the Gathering. Right. The next card to be banned was Disciple of the Vault, <laughs> right. a 1-1 so, one, one for 1. So if you look <laughs> at Magic's history... The or Magic's formats, the closest standard format to ever be to what vintage is today is Urza's Saga Legacy, uh -huh. or Urza's Saga Standard. Right. And Mirrodin was the first time they had a banned cards in standard since that moment. Mm -hmm. So that's how powerful That's it was. how powerful yes. these cards and, are. And it was a, a pretty different banning because, you know, back then Magic was a lot different, and those cards essentially fueled just tons of combo decks. But Affinity was, you know, it was, it was what it was supposed to be. Uh, they wanted people to play these cheap artifacts, but they kind of missed on power level evaluations. They didn't really kind of realize how strong Disciple of the Vault specifically right. would be, a 1-1 one, one for 1, which isn't all that intimidating, except whenever artifacts go to the graveyard, he zaps the opponent for a life, and with a card like Arcbound Ravager around, you can deck your entire, essentially you entire can sack an artifact for 2 life. And theoretically, this is a deck on turn 2, will have 10 artifacts in play, that's a 10-point life swing that you're left with Plus a you're 10, building 10, 10, 10, 10 creatures. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, creature. it can certainly happen Fire, that way. Fire, because it's an Right. Yeah. You've also <laughs> got the artifact lands, which it, it feels like Wizards kind of didn't realize that these essentially functioned like Ancient Tombs and City of Traders without a drawback in these affinity decks, uh, thanks to creatures like Ancient Tombs and City of Traders are lands that yeah. let you tap for two mana. Yeah, they essentially doubled your mana mm -hmm. output in land form, provided fuel for your Arcbound Ravager and your Disciple of the Vault, and the whole deck just had... Super high velocity, standard warped completely around it, and eventually they decided enough is enough, kill it. Like, and they banned what 
seven cards. I believe it was only the artifact lands and disciple of all. Yeah, so that, well, that no, would be and, seven. Uh, and um, oh well, skull camp was skull later, camp. but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. the the round to kill affinity was the artifact lands and the skull and the uh, disciple of the all. Right, right. And right. then skull clamp continued to fuel a number of degenerate right. magic decks <laughs> until finally getting yeah. yeah. Well, so I guess the moral of that story is like this is a pillar. Yeah, this is a powerful deck that's been around for a right. long time. And so, and it's been around for a long time, and you know. It's a deck that's about emptying your hand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and this is this deck sees play in Legacy. It's not a tier one deck in Legacy, but it's a tier two deck because they have all access to all of those artifact oh, so, lands. Yeah, yeah. So in, in Modern, do parts we, of this deck are banned right now. So there yeah. are no artifact lands. There's do one we get Darksteel Citadel from M15? We get Darksteel Citadel. That is the one artifact land legal in Modern. And, uh, until Another recently, good it artifact target. Yeah, it, it's probably the best one in the deck. And, and it's some... It's, um, Pretty reasonable play in Infinity. I mean, it is an artifact land. Yeah. But really, the key lands for that deck were the Nexuses, the Inkmon right. Nexus and the Blinkmon yeah. Nexus, historically, uh, because of their ability to get there in the air. But in Solar Artifacts, those artifacts might also? be changing it. They are artifacts when, when they're animated. When they become creatures, they Only when they're animated. Yeah. Interesting. So it, it is playing with... So there's decision there's... points of when to turn those into artifacts mm-hmm. yeah. to I've, turn I on have... other stuff. Or... Right. Yeah. Interesting. Right. They're, they're, a common line of play is to turn a land... That you have into an artifact just so that something else that needs not even to attack play, with it, just not to, to attack with it, like using itself to turn itself into an artifact, it so that up. your etch champion has metalcraft, so that mm-hmm. it doesn't get killed. Etch champion is a three drop creature that has protection from colors if you have three artifacts. It's mm-hmm. kind of like um, in standard right now, they'll turn their mutable vault into they'll turn it on just to, to turn make on pack rat a little, yeah, little bit. That, that yeah, interaction exactly. definitely comes up a little bit, um, and. You know, so they're versatile. All the lands, and but now what we we were saying is that Dark Steel Citadel is more powerful as of M15 because now not only is it an artifact land and it turns everything on your deck and it's resistant to mm-hmm. land destruction or artifact destruction, mm-hmm. but because it now is a, the piece of a new combo the deck has just been received or been given, which is in Soul Artifact, which now you get a five-five indestructible turn two haste creature basically. Right. That. As far as I know, very few decks in modern can, can even, deal with can it. Deal yeah. with that. And you have to have Path to Exile available. Well, right and the now. great <laughs> greatest thing about what you're saying here is like those are not rare cards. No, no, they're no. uncommon. So I can easily get those, and I already have eight cards towards the deck. Like, right. like that's yeah, pretty awesome. We're, we're really. going to dive into the deck building choices, but among modern decks, Affinity is one of the more accessible decks for newer players because a lot of the cards are both easy to acquire and easy to understand. The only real pricey one is Mox Opal, which is admittedly, you know, quite quite pricey, but not, and not getting reprinted anytime soon due to it, the nature of the card. You know, it's a, it houses a keyword for a, a niche kind of set. What is Mox Opal? It's just a so zero-drop artifact that when you have Metalcraft, which is the three artifacts in play, it can produce a man of any color. So it's, you know, another attempt to fix a Mox, mm-hmm, essentially, mm-hmm. which we've seen historically. Every time they mox, put the word Mox, mox on a card, right. it's going to be way too right. powerful. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and I would, and this is a, something we'll talk in further episodes because we will be doing a Modern Masters 2 prediction right. um, since we are the Masters of Modern. Um, They're also I, the prophets I, of modern. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a card I think that is heavily likely to be made available to you. Uh-huh. Still at Mythic Rarities because it's a mox, and they're not yeah, going right. to mock at anything other than Mythic Rare. But it's something that will be made available, and that'll make it a little bit easier to access the deck. Yeah. But beyond yeah. that, there's not a card in the deck really that I know of that's under twenty. That's over twenty dollars. No, the, the nexuses are a reasonable bit, but they've reprinted uh, Arcbound Ravager. Uh, so he's right. not he's going like anywhere. 12, I think, yeah, right that, now. Yeah, I just bought one for an ADH deck. Fourteen and it was spoiled. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can definitely just get a hold of what most of what you need. And and 
Another major reason, and you kind of touched on it earlier, and we'll get more into how the exact colors in the deck work, but mm-hmm. because most of the lands are artifact lands, colorless lands, or like special rainbow lands that we'll get into, um, there is no shock lands. There's no fetch lands. There's no the, the, the one of the most expensive lands, barriers yeah. to modern, yeah. and it's one of the reasons we'll probably talk about decks that don't involve multicolors to a heavy at degree first. at first. Is that lands are the most expensive part? Um, and let's be honest, buying lands is boring. <laughs> it just I, I is. It's just, it's, with that, it's, it's it is a nice feeling to have them. Yeah, I mean, like, every good magic player, good. every good magic player knows like they're the important yeah. parts. Like you, you should spend your money there, but it's not exciting. I right. mean, buying a you know a creature or that's actually going to do something like is a lot. Buying a right. Tarmogoyf is a lot more. Especially exciting. Especially from the perspective of someone coming new in the competitive magic. Yeah. Realizing why lands are important is a new thing that you have to kind of learn and. Even That's, when you know it, it's still not fun. Right, it's yeah. just like you know it. It's like, I got to well, do this. You can make it fun. Let's make it fun. Every land gives you access to time more you? colors. <laughs> I get all of the colors. But I know that. Unless Look, you're, guys, unless it's you're real not... estate, invest. <laughs> yeah. That's just how it works. That's how life works. That's how magic works. Uh, another reason to play Affinity is also the deck is, you know, we mentioned some of the incredibly powerful decks that can play kind of like a combo deck. One of the reasons that that's good is as you're learning a format like Modern, playing a deck that is both aggressive and powerful means that your mistakes aren't going to be as costly because you're putting the pressure on the opponent. When they mess up, they're going to take lethal damage. When you mess up, you might kill them a turn later. That's obviously not ideal, and sometimes you'll lose games because Mm -hmm. of it, but if you had to pick which side of that equation to be on, knowing you'd be making mistakes, you definitely want to be on the side that's winning later instead of losing on the spot. Right, gotcha. You know, now that we've kind of given a history and what the deck is about and, and what kind of the game plan is, we're going to kind of get into the core the core pieces of the deck. The, okay. the, the, the cards that you don't cut. The cards that every Affinity list kind of needs to have in them. Okay. Um, we've gone over some of them already. Uh, you know, let's start with the lands because those are the easy, safe ones. Blink Moth and Ink Moth Nexus. Blink Moth and Ink Moth Nexus. Yeah. Right. Okay, because that's Ink Moth Nexus is an infect homage to the original Blink Moth Nexus uh, okay. uh, for yeah. when we it's returned a, it's to Mirrodin. An, it's an infect In Scars sequel. of Mirrodin block. Okay. It's bigger, and, yeah, better, It has been infected uncut. by Phyrexia, so yeah, it's got that infect going on. And it does not it's have the pump ability. Blink Moth Nexus has the ability to pump other another um, Nexus. Right. Another Nexus. Nexus. Right. Well, I think it's a, yeah, yeah. Nexuses, Nexuses. It has an ability to pump one of the other Nexuses, and uh, Ink Moth does not have that same ability. It's so that's eye. unique to Nexus. <laughs> well, actually, they're cards, so <laughs> the proper noun is Nexuses. I um, will um, bow to Glenn's knowledge of the proper. Uh, okay. Yeah, one of sorry, us has Alex. done editing on a major <laughs> Oh, he pulled the trump card out. Experience is a So So we've got those, uh, you have four of each? Yeah, four of each. Dark Seal um, Citadel. Dark Seal Citadel. Four, four Dark Seal okay. Citadel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, three to four Glimmer Void, which yep. is a land that can tap for any color mana. As long as you have an artifact As long play, as you right? have an artifact yeah. to play at the well, end of your turn. Yeah, it can tap for any color mana at any time, but at the end of your turn, if you have no artifacts, you have to sacrifice it. Oh, so in, so, a, in a real pinch, you could play it, tap yeah. it, and then just... You can right. play it, but considering, you know, the odds are you're casting an artifact with it, you're usually going to be safe. That right. said, you know, occasionally somebody might happen to the Shatterstorm. The time that, yeah, Shatterstorm is really the... Or Shatterstorm like effects. Shatterstorm is destroy all artifacts. Yeah. And right. those type of effects are the, the problem that Glimmer Void can run into. But... We're in a Dark world Steel where Dark Souls yeah. yeah. all There's also the ability to, a little saving grace, you know, you can let all your artifacts get destroyed and then animate one of your nexuses, which mm. are still around, right. and it counts as an artifact during your, the end step. You get to keep your Glimmer Void. That's oh, a good nice, trick to keep in mind. Nice. Uh, we should throw in the Mox Opal and Springleaf Drum in the mana True. section as yes. well. We talked about Mox Opal already. Springleaf Drum, 
One drop artifact turns essentially any of the creatures you have in play into a Birds of Paradise by allowing you to tap them and the Springleaf Drum for any That was in Born of the Gods, I think. Yeah, it's actually yeah. in standard. Yeah, it was recently yeah. reprinted. Um, and, you know, it, what it does, it's a kind of a, a two-punch thing where, you know, every single card, the more artifacts you have in play, the better this deck functions. So it's a, a very cheap one-cost artifact that also produces mana, which lets you do the second game plan that you really want to do, which is... Mm-hmm. Empty your hand out. Right. The key to a swarm type strategy, especially because there are so many powerful removal spells in modern, is you want to be deploying multiple cards per turn very early so that your opponent can't catch up. That's how the deck is going to try and get ahead against decks with Lightning Bolt, Abrupt Decay, all of those black green mid range decks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you want to go on turn one, Ornithopter, Spring Lift Drum, tap my Ornithopter for one, play a Signal Pest or a Vault Scourge. I've got two guys on the board. I'm going to have more next turn. Even if you're removing one guy per turn, if I fire out two or three real fast, you're still going to take damage. You're still going to fall behind. The affinity player is going to then land the killing blow with a cranial plating while you're tapped out from killing something else. Gotcha. Okay, that's a really good explanation of how the deck works. Very Um, cool. And then so, and and that kind of actually brings us into the next uh, type of cards, which is the creatures. And and more the one-drop swarmy creatures. Mm -hmm. Um... We've mentioned Ornithopter, mm-hmm. uh, fan favorite. <laughs> um, next, uh, Single Pest. Uh, Single Pest was a card from uh, Scars of Mirrored Block. Mm-hmm. It is a one-drop artifact with a, a ability called Battle Cry. Mm-hmm. So when it attacks, all other attacking creatures get plus one, plus zero. Oh, that's great. Yep. It, can also, it is a zero one, but it can only be blocked by creatures with flying. It doesn't have flying. It has a weird pseudo-flying. Okay. Um, so that plus Single Pest... Or does it does itself get plus one plus zero? <laughs> no, it does not put oh, itself, but additional copies of Signal Pass stack oh, uh, gotcha. in such a way that your other creatures right. get plus two plus zero, but they then pump each other, gotcha. which is handy. And it also turns the Ornithopters into a threat. That's why I mentioned you know one of those starts is you know Ornithopter Springleaf Drum Signal Pass strong start. You can also duplicate that with Mox Opal getting turned on to like even further right. out get creatures, and you can be attacking well, and, for and one of the lands could have been the Nexuses. So turn two, you're swinging with a Nexus, a Signal Pest, and an Ornithopter. Yeah. That's Being able to swing for three to five damage. Them. And they're swinging for seven or something. Yeah, Yeah, it just gets bigger and bigger. And And, and it does have that evasive ability, which is we've you know said is so important. important, The ability to wear cranial plating, wear arcbound ravager counters, wear and soul artifact. These are very useful things in the affinity deck. Right. Uh, Vault scourge, another flyer. So one Uh, is a black, but the black is Phyrexian mana, so it can often be played for one mana. In fact, and a two life. And in fact, it frequently is. You very rarely pay the black mana. And even if you did, if even the two life that you cost. You wind up getting back to the lifelink. It's a one-one flyer with lifelink, oh, nice. making right. it an ideal target for again these arcbound ravager counters, cranial plating counters, in soul artifact. Even in a pinch, you're just gaining a bunch of life, allowing you to win the race. And affinity, you know, the ability to keep your life total high is actually something people don't talk about much, but it's relevant because in matches where your opponent is going to try and race you down, which definitely can happen. Yeah, if you're facing uh, yeah. a burn deck or something. Right, like these cards, yeah, yeah, they yeah, add yeah, up or... very quickly, uh, especially in the in the mirrors, including. Mm-hmm. And that is that's valuable. There are decks that are just going to try and attack you, and the fact that you can gain a bunch of life and you don't take damage from your mana base like everyone else, yeah, it matters. Thumbs hmm. up. The game plan is very linear, so mm-hmm. you'll notice that a lot of the cards kind of do the same thing, which is a sign of a powerful deck. Right. So a lot of redundancy. Most of the de- most of the cards that we've named so far have been cheap artifacts, possibly that fly. And possibly that... Cheap, evasive artifact yeah. creatures. Yeah, cheap, yeah. evasive artifact creatures. So we've mentioned some of the bigger payoffs, which are Arcbound Ravager and Cranial Plating, right. but there are others. Uh, Steel Overseer, yes. probably next on that list of big payoffs. You guys just bought this one, too. Tap to give all your artifacts plus yep. one, plus one. It's a two-mana, one-one. Taps to give every artifact creature on the board a plus one, plus one counter. 
which is permanent. So that guy's always going right. to be big regardless of the steel over. That works with the Ravager too, right? It, well, it works with the Ravager, mm-hmm. but the, the reason it's interesting is most of the Hail Mary cards in this in, in Affinity that are meant to go big are uh-huh. all piercing strategies. So, you know, Cranial Plating, which gives a single creature plus X plus zero for how many artifacts you have. Uh, Ravager Counters, which are just one creature gets plus one plus one for how many artifacts you sacked. These are all one creature gets big. Mm-hmm. Steel Overseer kind of goes with your game A. Uh, going wide. A game yeah. plan where, you know, going wide. So you're all of those little one-drop creatures you played in the first three turns are now getting bigger and all becoming threats of their own. Yeah, an unchecked Steel Overseer will very quickly end a game. And it also is great with your man lands because while they're creatures, they can receive those plus one, plus one counters. And, and even stay. when they turn into a land, those counters yeah. stick around. Yeah, that's actually pretty awesome. Yeah, that's one of the so primary reasons to turn on a land. Blink Moth or Blink Mouth. Right. And, and something <laughs> to remember... Blink Mouth and Blink Moth, I don't know. That we didn't really cover with the things, but naming Ink Moth, uh, is that that only needs 10 of these counters. So, because it has Infect, oh, and if right. you have 10 Poison counters, and Infect deals damage in Poison counters, you <clears> lose. It, oh, so if you get the Ravager... If you get a Ravager or a Cranial Plating, and you just, like, it's a one male Hail Mary, but you have the Infect one equipped, it can just insta-kill them yep. that turn, Boom. game. Also highly relevant is that this is a way to kill an opponent who has gained infinite life. Right. Which you can do in which modern. Which happens in modern. There, yeah, there are at least, yeah. at least life two decks that are Tier 1 or Tier 2 that entire purpose is the gain as much life as possible. So you have game against those decks. Yeah, against those decks. You can literally just ignore their gain life, right. end of, of whatever they're doing, and just go for it. Right. That's great. Um, Birthing Pot is one of the decks, which we'll get in the future, but it, it's game plan A is to gain infinite life. Um, so, and then, so we kind of went over the Hail Mary. The last Hail Mary, which we also talked about, is um, in Soul Artifact, which makes any one of your artifact creatures that fly, some of them, or lands that are now indestructible, into a 5 5 uh, for two mana. Um, and that is the newest addition to the deck. Now, there's. Uh, Probably one more subset of cards that are a little bit looser and a little bit more uh, movable, what you want to do with them. Mm-hmm. Um, more of the utility cards. Affinity is a really linear deck, so it doesn't have a lot of room in the main deck for right. you to play cards that don't directly contribute to your plan. Mm-hmm. So a lot of those slots are locked in. You know, you have your your Vault Scourges, your Signal Pest, etc., 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 Etch Champion. Uh, usually you play like a couple Memnite just because you want to increase those nut draws of Mox Opal and Spring Lady. It is still a zero yeah. cost creature. Right, right. But and artifacts, you just don't have four you, of them. You, you, just... you play with like two to three, and mm-hmm. two is probably the most important. And some people have cut it entirely, so it's, it's not locked in. But there's essentially probably somewhere between two and eight slots that are, are flexible in the main deck, which mm-hmm. is not a lot. No. Uh, and you can't you know, do too many outside of that because you'll be you'll taking weaken the rest of the plan too much. Yeah, yeah which, you which, won't be able to go. And this is one reason this is a good deck to start with because there's not a lot of mistakes. to. Kind of, it's a good deck to mm-hmm. learn what the format and learn what other decks are trying to do because when you're punching a deck as fast as you can, as hard as you can, quickly, you will learn the best ways that they function. Right. So you can learn using Affinity to kind of learn those other decks. But the cards that you know, are kind of movable or take out. Uh, one of them is Galvanic Blast. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a it is kind of the better lightning bolt as long as you have a bunch of artifacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has Metalcraft, the ability we mentioned before. Uh, for one red, you can deal two damage if you don't have Metalcraft, or if you have three or more artifacts in play, you can deal four damage. Um, this is generally one of the more played of the utility cards because what it does is it kind of gives you gains against the decks that are trying to kill you as fast as possible. And it can also be a just I win also. Because mm-hmm. five damage to the face, or four damage to the face, is a lot of damage for how efficient it is. And But against decks like Splinter Twin, which if you, their game plan against you as affinity, because you're going to kill them as quick as possible, is to kill you as quick as possible. So they're not going to try dirtling and doing their own game plan of trying to kind of 
you know, infinite, infinite combo, you out, yeah. they're going to infinite combo. Yeah. Their, their entire game plan That is, is their game one plan every time. Every time against you, and against you, they're trying, they'll mulligan aggressively, they'll try doing it as hard as they can. Mm -hmm. So having that, oh, I normally don't have removal spells, but I, I killed kill that. I killed, like, and I bought myself one turn, and affinity, all you need is one turn, because you have... Your the your deck is literally turn by turn is it matters right. more than anything. Galvanic Blast is really strong because it's a, a very efficient and pretty powerful form of reach. So it can let you finish someone off who just barely staved you at, at the right. last second from killing them. Uh, it's good against Deceiver Exarch as you mentioned right. and, and Pestermite stopping that Splinter Twin combo. Uh, and you know in matchups where you're trading creatures and you're actually racing, which don't come Oof. up a lot for Affinity, but in those situations it's also a reasonable card. Now it's a vulnerable card too because. In the hyper attrition situations where you know you're just trying to get threats on the board, it's not a threat. It's not a source of continuous right. damage. If your opponent runs you out of actual cards that can kill them, and you're left holding like a Vanic Blast or two with them at you know 12 life, that's Doesn't not a great situation. Anything. Yeah, you're right. just sitting there with. But some still, shocks. I mean, it's it's in this deck. It seems like it's like better than a lightning bolt, which that's hard to do it's, in general. It's certainly better than it's a lightning bolt. But it says a lightning bolt is pretty damn good. And it says a lot that the deck rarely chooses to play four, even though it is better than lightning, because that's, that's just not powerful. what you're interested in. You right. know, you got to have that linear right. thing. You and need, you need, you need to have it in the deck in some fashion, or at least in your seventy-five, so that people are afraid of it, mm -hmm. so that that splinter twin person is at least wary of the galvanic blast right. and plays around it. And you need and, and having one or two allows you to do some things, but you don't want four. You don't want to accidentally draw more than one or two. Well, you, you, can, you can play four, but you, ha you have to be aware. You know, you're making right. these deck building decisions that have ramifications. If you're playing four, you need specific reasons. Uh, another very similar card to Galvanic Blast is Shrapnel Blast, which has fallen mostly out of favor, but recently, which I, I want to talk about another later, M15 card. Uh, yeah, At least it's, it's easy to get a hold of. One in a red, yeah. instant, second artifact for five damage. Freak was a very heavily played card in Affinity back right. in the day. Has since kind of fallen out because of the way the modern deck works, which, you know, we've again said is this really linear. You don't want to have these one-shot effects. Uh, my, my thing, if I'm playing spells in my Affinity deck, the biggest thing I want is it to be either something that's going to break a game open in a unique way, which, you know, these burn spells can do sometimes, or something that directly affects the cards my opponent has that interact with me. Because that's one of the great things about playing a deck that can be kind of combo-esque, because you can ignore some things. Like Affinity, you know, your opponent's like, Dark Hoffman or Tarmogoyf, you're like, whatever, attack you. Right, like, right. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> I, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, so if the, but if they have something good, something that might actually turn me off, I want to be able to deal with that. And so two of the cards that sometimes show up in Affinity lists, either in the main deck or the sideboard, are Thoughtseize and Spellpierce. And while they seem kind of different, they're actually really similar Very in similar the way this deck the uses them. Right. Uh, Thoughtseize is a single black mana for look at the opponent's hand, discard any card, you lose two life. Spellpierce counters a non-creature spell unless they pay two for a single blue mana. Both one mana plays, and they're both in the deck to either head off your opponent trying to combo kill you, which we mentioned can be a risk in the Splinter Twin strategy, uh, or to handle a card that's going to ruin you. Uh, Shatterstorm is the one we've mentioned already, mm -hmm. which is two red-red destroy all artifacts that can't be regenerated. That one matters, and being able to thought seize it before they can play it or spell pierce it when they do, very potent. Uh, the cards essentially fill a very similar role. I personally prefer spell pierce because it punishes the opponent for casting the card in the first yeah. place. They lose that mana, they've wasted a turn, you're beating them down. Seems great. Plus, um, thought seize it against something like Shatterstorm feels like if they top deck it, exactly, they can't yeah, do a thing. Right, yeah, but you, if you, you have spell pierce, you're good. Yeah. And uh, and I like the, the I like that aspect of the card. Uh, mm -hmm. That said, you know. It, it kind of varies on what you're trying to do. Certain lists might want one over the other. Which one's cheaper? <laughs> Spell Pierce. Then I so, want that one. It, it, I don't think it's, it's... It's not the cheapest comment on the market, right, right. but so, it's, it's certainly cheaper yeah, than... Cheaper than Thoughtseize. Thoughtseize. currently in standard. <laughs> yeah. 
and it has been reprinted, rest, uh, yeah. reprinted recently, so it's possible that it's you either have out. a few mm-hmm. already or you you can find them pretty easily. Right. Um, but spell pierce is a common, so it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's definitely not, a little yeah. bit easier to get your hands on. Um, but it's not a cheap. It's not the cheapest common, as Glenn said. There are many. It's a, it's, it's a cool point though about how those serve the same thing. You yeah. wouldn't need both in your board then. Yeah. That, that's correct. You can also run into the issue. One of the reasons I like Spell Pierce better is, you know, say I thought see someone, I see two Shatterstorms. I'm SOL. That's that's right, not right. going to be any good. But if I have a Spell Pierce and I can kill him on turn five... I buy myself that I turn. That's I totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. tap out for a turn. Yeah. Exactly. Once they tap out, I can get in there. And you sort so, of time walk them when they do that, yeah. too. So. Now, there are other benefits to Thoughtseize. I'm not trying to sell it that short. Yeah. You get to know the rest of their hand, too. If they don't have a good hate card, you get to take something else. So it definitely has pluses uh, over the Spell Pierce, but... I'm a bigger fan of the Spell Pierce, personally. Well, and on top of that, there are more cards um, that are blue, to be totally honest. I mean, something we didn't mention is that you generally have to choose one basic land you kind of throw in there. Right, and, and you already have a Soul Artifact, and you're already, probably. You're already a deck that's kind of color light, right. and so and, and you can play black cards, and it's not impossible to do that, but something to take into consideration is the fact that you're already playing a Soul Artifact. There is a card called Thetcast that we haven't get through that some lists do play. These are all blue cards, so having... Spell Pierce and Blue Man is a little bit easier, possibly, to find than Black Man, where the only black cards are out of the sideboard. Well, we, we are talking about cheaper. this decision to specialize, but it is worth noting, you know, we've talked about cards that can move around, and very recently, at a Grand Prix in Kobe, a player named Yusei Goto decided to really move some things around. He cut one of the Nexuses completely out of the deck in order to make room for some mana confluences to go along with all of his Glimmer Voids, and he played all the colors. He ran four Galvanic Blast, four Shrapnel Blast... Four in Soul Artifact and four Tarmogoyf. Yep. Uh, in what? addition to two main deck thought seizes. And he fueled those cards with all the It feels like he wouldn't have very many artifacts if he did that. He, he kept all of the core artifacts and he trimmed where he could, uh, but he basically wanted, as far as I can tell, I think that this is an attempt to beat Stony Silence, which is one of the most prolific hate cards against Affinity and Wait. one of the toughest to fight. What is it? Stony Silence is a one and a white enchantment that reads, activated abilities of artifacts can't be activated. Mm. So it shuts off not only cards like Cranial Plating, which you need to be able to move, or Arcbound Ravager, which needs to be able able to to activate its ability to sacrifice things Mm -hmm. to it and in order to grow. Uh, It also turns off a lot of your mana. Uh, Darksteel Citadel, Mox Elf, and Springleaf Drum. None of those cards can be used in any way uh, except for attacking. While right. <laughs> <laughs> while a uh, Stony Silence is in play, and thanks to Insul Artifact, you can actually attack with those cards. Right. Uh, so by adding those Glimmer Voids and Mana Confluences, he has access to blue mana in spite of the Stony Silence, and he can start attacking with these artifacts that would otherwise be turned into bricks. And Tarmogoyf, certainly a beat stick that doesn't care about a Stony yeah. Silence. Well, also, <laughs> it seems like Shrapnel Blast would be really good with Tarmogoyf, because all of a sudden, I, can, in the middle of combat, yeah. especially if it's an Insul Artifact, it... Artifact. It's yeah, like, boom, I just give him plus three, plus three right, right. in mid-combat. And, and burn spells are another way to gain reach. Yeah. And, and to be honest, like Stony Silence is a big issue because those cards we talked about, Thoughtseize and Spell Pierce, it's tough to handle a Stony Silence with those because if you don't Thoughtseize them really early, one. they can cast yeah. it on turn two and you're, you're, you're done. And if you don't leave up Spell Pierce mana basically every turn of the game... They can deploy it, even right. if you do, on turn four, I mean, they can cast The reason Spell Pierce is versatile normally is because you kind of don't have cards in hand after turn two. Mm-hmm. Um, so it doesn't matter, you can leave So open. you're leaving up mana, you're not, you're mana, very mana light for the first three yeah. turns, but after that you're heavier than on mana than anyone else because you're not doing anything with your mana, you're attacking them. Yeah, the cards you're trying to counter at that point are, you know, essentially going to be very frequently Birthing Pod, Splinter Twin, mm-hmm. Shatterstorm, Cryptic Man. A lot of three and four mana cards are going to be your target for Spell Pierce. Creatures aren't Stone a problem silence. for you. It's the no spells that aren't creatures that you have problems with. Yeah. Um, and 
before we, I, I, we kind of almost segued into it, but before we get there, I do want to, we're, we're going to talk about uh, problem cards for Affinity. Yeah, what, um, like how but, do people fight it? And We'll go ahead. Right, before, before we get there, uh, I do want to talk about, because I mentioned it earlier, I just want to describe the card. The, the one last thing that is possibly a side card are gas cards, because we mentioned earlier one of the reasons Galvanic Blast is not always good is because if you just draw a top deck, top deck Galvanic Blast and you have nothing in play and you kind of behind, it doesn't yeah. do anything. Um, Thoughtcast, which is the only Affinity card in Affinity now, <laughs> um, is a, I think it's a blue and four, yep. uh, to draw two cards, but it has Affinity. So for every artifact you have in play, it costs one less. So it is the closest you can come to playing Ancestral Recall, one of the power nine, in Modern. <laughs> yeah, because you could actually literally draw realistically yeah, yeah. draw for one blue. It, it yeah. is a cheap form of card draw, and on the face of it, if you said, you know, you have this card that's a blue, draw two cards, most decks would want it. But I'm, I'm really not a fan of it in Affinity because of how it specifically interacts with the format. For one, the decks that you really want a card that's just draw two on the cheap against are the decks that are trying to kill you with attrition. Uh, and those happen to be Affinity's best matchup already. These black-green so mid-range decks... You know, it's, it's nice to have a thought right. cast against them, but I'm already beating them most of the time. So it, it's not as essential as it might seem. Uh, it, it is good against the Jun versions with Ancient Grudge, which is a flashback card that can essentially destroy two artifacts on the cheap. So thought cast is a good way to kind of bounce back from that. But again, I'm mostly trying to just kill them while they play inefficient removal spells. So it, as long as they can avoid getting an Ancient Grudge drawn on me, or maybe just get an Etch Champion into play, I'm not going to sweat it as much. Uh, so the thought cast is good there against the combo decks, against these... You know, control decks, I, I don't really need it as much, and I'd much rather play a card that lets me fight off hate, because those are the things I'm worried about. Like, a thought cast against a Shatterstorm doesn't line up right. I, if I, I cast it before the Shatterstorm, that's mana I didn't use to attack them. If I cast it after the Shatterstorm, well, it costs five mana after a Shatterstorm. Right. <laughs> it's no good. Right. Uh, so, I'm, I'm not as huge a fan of it. It is objectively a pretty strong card, but I don't think it lines up that well right now. And as, as I was we talking about that list from GP Kobe, like, that's the kind of innovation I like to see in Affinity. You know, he's attacking the problems the deck has, not looking for something that's kind of objectively good. Uh, and I think that that's pretty cool. Okay, so, uh, you know, now that we've kind of gone over what the deck can do and the different mm -hmm. pieces of what it is, uh, we want to go, or I want to go through and we'll take you down the road of what you guys down the road of what you kind of have to look out for the problem cards for affinity right the card, like really what people bring out of the sideboard mostly for you um yeah because it is an established pillar of the format so yes. you got to assume that a lot of the people you're going to be facing will be ready to face you on some level oh, yeah. right right and, and and affinity is kind of what dredges in other formats and dredges a graveyard combo -y deck that mm -hmm. has a very specific way to beat it and it's very powerful, except that the fact that the specific way to beat it is very good at it. Just graveyard hate, just graveyard hate in it, general, right? right? So, but because it shifts how many people are playing graveyard hate, because if it, it because dredge didn't do so well last year, did really well last week. Um, you know, that's how word dredge does. So sometimes last week, if affinity didn't see any top eight play in the most recent modern tournament, people will play less graveyard hate, and that makes your day better. If people saw Affinity do really well last week, then people are going to bring in, you know, they're going to have eight sideboard cards for Affinity. Right. Yeah, because um, yeah, you only have 15 sideboard cards, so... In total. So you can't you cover all your bases, time. so right. yeah, you're going to use the stuff that you're and, more likely to face. And because Affinity has this weird, overtly linear strategy, the cards that are brought in against are more often than not very specific yeah. to be good against Affinity. People definitely... I, I think it, the dredge analogy is fine, except that Affinity, I think like two, one to two years ago was probably at that point where it was like really cyclically popular. Right, right. But it's really achieved a pretty consistent yes. level. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, I think that pretty much started 
probably like right around Grand Prix Portland a while ago when it had like some strong finishes, and since then it's it's been just always here. The format, yeah, always just, there. Everyone it sort of transcended that cyclical but thing. But it made it and, to and that like tier one status where it's like if you come to a tournament, you should expect to play against this deck once or twice in order to win. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that, and I think that that's reasonable. And in some environments, like I, you know, we all live out here in SoCal. Having been to some SoCal PTUs, I can say if you come to a tournament not prepared for affinity, you ain't gonna win that tournament. Right. 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 Well, that also that's mean, really popular. Does PTU that also deck. mean that the affinity deck? it has enough game against what's the sideboarding against it to still be viable. Yes. Yeah. And we kind of mentioned a few of the mm-hmm. different ways to combat uh, that to, stuff. That yeah. it just naturally combats some of these things. Uh-huh. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of the, and sometimes we'll say specific cards, sometimes they'll be overtly just broad cards, yeah. of the cards that are good against Affinity, mm-hmm. and the game plans it has against them. Okay. Um, so I guess to start first, Shatterstorm, or Shatterstorm-like effects, which are destroy all artifacts. Right. Normally they cost between three and five mana, um, there is a red one, a green one, a green-white one that's cost five and can also destroy all enchantments. Um, and all of these cards are kind of meant to destroy everything you have. And, and they're really only great against Affinity because there are other cards that we're going to mention that are a little bit more broad because they're mm-hmm. good against artifacts in general and other decks play artifacts. But the Shadowstorm effects, you're the only deck in the format that's popular that... Is all about having a bunch of artifacts. In yeah. Right. They might only get one or two from somebody else. Right. So right. If they're probably not mainboarding Storm, it. Creeping corrosion or fracturing gust. They're coming for affinity and and no one else. Like right. that's what those cards are for. Uh, you could theoretically bring in fracturing gust like against Splinter Twin, but it's such an expensive card that you're not going to be playing a large quantity of it anyway. So most of the decks that are playing these cards are either playing you know one or two to be able to spike an affinity deck to get out of there, or if affinity is one of their much tougher matchups or a matchup where they can afford to play the Haymaker, Storm is the deck that comes to mind for me, they might play more copies and, and just be willing to like get you right. completely. I, I can't beat Affinity without a card that just overtly beats it. I can beat most other decks, but Affinity is a huge problem for me. So I'm going to have four Shatterstorms in my mm-hmm. sideboard. Um, so now, now the ways to beat this are, you know... The, the the nexuses you're, you're you have manlands that can survive through this effect um there's a card called welding jar which is a zero cost artifact that you sacrifice it to protect another artifact it regenerates target oh, artifact it doesn't save you from shatterstorm though shatterstorm is no regeneration true, true, yeah. true. um and then uh you have uh, in addition to those you can actually just you know kind of play a softer grindier game which you often will have to right. do in uh, post support games you know texture of matchups change and you need to be aware of the fact that you can't just throw your whole hand onto the field and expect to get there anymore. That's not going to necessarily get it done. So you can kind of hold things in reserve. Maybe those cards like Thoughtcast and we talked about could be a little better. Spellpiercing Thought Seize, certainly available to defend you. Right. So you can kind of sculpt the game to where you're not getting as annihilated as you might otherwise. Yeah, and that's a really important thing, which is like, yeah, changing how you're playing, not what you're playing necessarily. Right. Yeah, which I think a lot of people overlook. You know, that's that's the part of Magic that sets the really great players apart from the not-so-good ones, because they might have the same deck list, and, you know, the pros are going to go to top eight with that same deck right. list. And, and yeah, a lot of it is just knowing, like, how to play their cards, what sequence to play them, when to withhold, you know. I think that's a really important point. And that's kind of what we mentioned earlier, is one of the things that Modern benefits is playing a lot of one deck and learning the best. Yeah, because we so play I, that deck a lot. I know that most... Uh, Storm decks have Shatterstorm in the sideboard, so I know that I should bring Spellpierce in, but I should save it for Shatterstorm. I right. don't need to use it on them storming out or doing something, because I'm, I'm just as fast as they are, but I, what I really need to worry about is them having an answer to what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. Um, well, you you know, it, it does cut both, both ways. Like, they're trying to race you, and you're trying to race them, so 
but the power of, of spell pierce is certainly in you know the person who's holding it they can decide what's going on it's like oh man the storm guy is looks like he might have the critical mass to try and kill me i need to shut him down or you know i think he's got a shatter storm i'll hold it for that and you can kind of you have to make those reads based on the texture of the game you know if right. my opponent's not doing a whole lot uh, he's not casting cards that are typically good like he's cantripping but not putting a goblin electromancer or a pyromancer ascension into play i can pretty safely assume he kept a hand with a shatter storm because mm -hmm. otherwise why did he keep his hand? Right, right, <laughs> you know, right. Well, that's another thing on. that comes with playing your deck a lot and yeah. playing against the different matchups, right? It's learning those little intricacies. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I'd say the last thing that you... And this is the new edition, and this is the main deck edition, is a solar artifact. You can create a 5-5 five, five indestructible creature that doesn't die to these these board wipes that destroy all creatures. Mm -hmm. And that is now a main deck and a common, mm -hmm. like, what your game plan is. So... In, in essence, Shatterstorm has gotten probably a little bit weaker recently because of these yeah. factors. They can Shatterstorm you and you still are hitting them for five in yeah, the Yeah, it's a five-indestructible five yeah. creature. Yeah. It, it's a new dimension, and like Shatterstorm is already kind of an efficient, inefficient card because it does cost four. You can be dead before you get to cast it. It happens. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not great against anybody but Affinity. So a lot of people are turning to cards that and have a little card, more yeah. overlap. And um, I think Stony Silence is, at this point, played. the marquee, most-played right. card uh, we already mentioned it. It's a white enchantment that shuts off all activated abilities. And not only does this really put the hammer on most of Affinity's best cards, but it is also devastating to some of the other decks in the format, like Tron, which has a Rip. lot of artifacts with activated abilities it uses to cantrip through the deck and find the Urza Tron, uh, Urza's Tower, Urza's mm -hmm. Mind, Urza's Power Plant, in order to make a bunch of mana. If you shut down those engines, you shut down also their Oblivion Stone, which is their primary way of defending themselves by killing right. all the other permanents on now, the board. Now, are they, are they main decking this? Uh, the yeah the uh, the Tron decks are main decking tons of artifacts. No, no, I mean and, the uh, um, the Stony I mean, Silence is exclusively a sideboard yeah, yeah. card. Most of the cards we're going to yeah. bring up, and, and and that's kind of how the way Affinity works. Mm -hmm. Most of the cards that we're going to bring up here are sideboard cards. Um, this is how the enemy is going to adjust to you right. in order to try and get you in the sideboard games. Because in game ones, a lot of people are going to find themselves poorly positioned. Right. The, the only decks I can think of, and, and we'll get into the matchup, is blue white red might have a a pre sideboarded deck too mm -hmm. in in some ways, but. So, so, but Sony uh, Silence. So, I guess my question would be: Does any white deck have that in the sideboard, or is it only certain ones? It is safe to assume that every white deck that doesn't run its own complement of artifacts uh -huh. that need to activate uh, is going to be running Sony Silence. For example, right. Blue White Tron, uh, again a deck you know assembling those Urza's lands. It runs you know perhaps talismans or signets to make mana and its so, own artifacts. So, bringing in a Sony Silence for that deck turns eh, off a lot of its stuff. Not going to work yeah, out that well. Right, yeah. right. they're going to lean on something else most of the time. Yeah, if a deck has white, and it has white in a number mm -hmm. that is accessible, mm -hmm. like it's not splashing one white off of yeah. one land for right. whatever reason. And even in those decks, Stony Silence is easy to splash, and it's kind of one of the main reasons to play white, yeah. arguably. It's a sideboard-only card, but the white's power is its sideboard strength. White is one of the strongest mm -hmm. colors in sideboard strength, specifically. Mm -hmm. Which in modern matters, because it's so diverse that having good... Like, you know, for instance, answers, answers to broad broad situations. So unlike Shatterstorm, which is only good against Affinity, this is good against, you know, Tron. Tron. This is good against Affinity. This is also okay against cards like Birthing Pod. Like Birthing Pod. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a card that is much better to play than some of these specific to Affinity answers. Gotcha. And it allows... So it's something you need to be wary of as an Affinity. And, you know, there are many ways that Affinity kind of combats this. Not all of them are that successful, unfortunately. One of my, one of my friends... Play Tarmogoyf uh, is one of the ones. Yeah, one of my friends recently took to Facebook lamenting his multiple PTQ top eights with Affinity all ended at the hands of a Sony Silence in the quarterfinals. And it really is just 
a very powerful card in the matchup. It comes down so fast. It slides under most of the ways you have to prevent it. And, and as long as the, the player is capable of turning off your few ways to really try and get the game through it, it's going to be a death knell for you. And the decks that play it are, are generally quite good. So what are the ways that, that Affinity goes about trying These to get around These days, the Insole Artifact is probably becoming the best one. Mm -hmm. I've been surprised at how powerful it right. is. And I'm not that surprised having you know seen it show up as a pair of in a few decks. I think Frank Karsten... Uh, top 16 to Grand Prix with it. That was the first time I saw it really starting to make waves. Mm -hmm. And he played two, and he said they were great, and he would consider playing more in the future. And then we saw this Grand Prix the the past weekend at Grand Prix Kobe right. with a player playing four in a very unique list. And his list, you know, I think it's very structured against Stony Silence. I'd, right. I'd be surprised if that wasn't, like, his entire goal in building the deck. Which just don't lose to that yeah, damn card. Like, right, right. I'm going to play cards that are pretty good everywhere, I want to be able to win when my opponent casts a turn two Stony Sons. And he, he it is a price he pays. You know, I'm his deck probably goldfishes a little faster against combo because he has those burn cards to be able right. to get them before they kill him. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's probably a fair bit worse against a lot of the more attrition-based decks because he's not goldfishing himself as fast. His kill, unopposed, is not going to be as quick because Tarmogoyf is, you know, not an Arcbound Ravager. Right, it's not right. what he does. Uh, so he, he doesn't have quite as strong a draw as the typical affinity list. But in exchange he's gained the ability to beat the best sideboard card against the deck. And I don't know if it's necessarily a great trade-off, but I'm excited to see mm -hmm. you know, yeah. someone trying it. A lot of people involved, yeah. too. Yeah. It's definitely very cool. I, the, the answer is coming up with threats that get around it. Mm -hmm. And you know, the, one of the reasons probably Insul Artifact was adopted so quickly was because it is good in the deck to anyway. a certain extent anyway, yeah. but it, it is specifically good against it that situation mm -hmm. in the yeah, sense that it's a threat that doesn't involve an activation that is inexpensive and already makes one of your cards that theoretically are not, not good anymore better. Right. Like when you can't attack, you can't tap your man, land for mana, but you can make it a 5-5 five, five creature, at least it's still doing, doing something. something there's, yeah. a card, there's no longer the card disadvantage. But yes, I mean, this is probably the hardest card to beat that people can bring in. Yeah, one of the, uh, a lot of the cards, I've seen some Affinity players sideboarding Ray of Revelation as a way to try and beat Stony Silence, which beats two copies, which is relevant. Uh, Ray of Revelation is one in a white to destroy enchantment, flashbacks for a green, and, you know, if you have these Glimmer Voids or, and or even Mana Confluences that you're playing, you can cast this Ray of Revelation on both ends, mm -hmm. get rid of some Stony Silences. Springleaf Draw. I mean, your, your deck is Well, you can't activate the Springleaf Draw with the Stony Silence. That's one of the tricky things I was going to get to. Yeah, like, yeah. that's the big problem is that in order to beat a Stony Silence, you really want what you're doing to not be super color intensive. Because, because they're taking out all your color stuff. Because yeah. are shut down, yeah. Oh, that sucks. So, and it, it matters both in color and in casting cost. For example, if you can get a Master of Ethereum into play, He's pretty good because we've got the Stony Silence, which shuts down most of our ways to get paid for right. all these artifacts. To explain what Master of Theorem is, he is a, a uh, three-drop creature that is an XX, and his power and toughness is equal to how many artifacts you control, mm. and he gives all other artifact creatures you control plus one, plus one. But he's not an artifact himself. He is an he artifact. Is an artifact oh, yeah. So the payoff for oh, playing all of these little ability. guys is you get you know your Arcbound Ravagers, your Cranial Platings, and your Steel Overseers, to enhance them and make them stronger. Uh, but once the Stony Silence comes out, that's turned off. Your Ornithopter is the O2 that it was born to be. So you bring, you have Master of Ethereum in play. Now maybe you can actually muster a pretty reasonable offense with this otherwise dinky crowd of dorks. Gotcha. Uh, so I, I think that he is a reasonable card. Because of his cost, he's not that great. Three mana is a lot, especially when you're not going to have Opal and Springlift Drum to power him out all the time. Uh, but a lot of lists play one to three copies. Uh, I think most recently I saw Alex Magilton's list played one, and I don't think there were any in this list we saw, obviously, from uh, GP Kobe, but his list is very right. unique. And, and, and his list, 
was eschewing having as many artifacts yeah. in place, so Master of Ethereum would be less as good than it would be in a deck that is more classic Affinity versus the newer Tarmo Infinity. Right. Um, <laughs> the Tarmo. Tarmo Infinity. <laughs> Tarmo Infinity. You heard it here. Right. We came up with it. That's God, I hate deck names. So <laughs> um, okay, so what are some of the other cards? Yeah, that we. So uh, uh, bef- uh, another card style, and we kind of. Card style, okay. Named cool. its sister. The main one is, is Ancient Grudge. Yeah. Um, and we named it Sister Card, which was, I always forget Ray its name. Revelation. Ray of Revelation, which is Ancient Grudge for enchantments. But uh, Ray, uh, Ancient Grudge is um, a green and a colorless destroy target Red artifact. And a Red and a colorless oh, destroy target artifact. And one green to destroy an artifact flashback. Yeah. So you can play it from the so graveyard. You can basically kill two yeah. artifacts with right. it. Yeah. See, it's, now, we, we brought up before how Affinity fights Attrition, which is by committing more things to the board than you're able to destroy. So, like, you, you know, a card like two. Disenchant is fine, but it's not actually super powerful because, again, you know, they're putting multiple things on the board. But Ancient Grudge, card advantage built right in, and it gets more efficient after you cast it. The first one's two, the second one's one. So you frequently can go turn two, Ancient Grudge your thing, turn three, Two drop ancient grudger thing, which is exactly what Affinity is trying to do. Play right. two cards a turn, right. so that's an so they can ideal keep up switch with you. on you. Yeah, or, or, or they can you. keep up with you while preventing you and and progressing their own board. Affinity's yeah. issue is the later the game gets, the worse you get. The worst Affinity is going to. I mean, it's the can still like hail mary kill someone out of nowhere, but it's just if like most aggro right, decks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and so ancient grudge stops the aggro deck at an efficient manner that is competing with the aggro deck at its same level. Now, fortunately, Ancient Grudge has been around a very long time, so most seasoned Affinity pilots have gotten used to playing against it, uh, since it's a pretty old card at this point. Right, which means that there there is a ton of literature, I guess, and and we can kind of break down to the best ways of playing against for you guys, so that you know that, you know, because it's spot removal, and because you have cards that kind of can fight against it, it, you will have an easier time against it than most. The most obvious is Etch Champion, which is itself a beater that can't be targeted oh, by Grudge because from, it yeah. has protection as long as you have Metalcraft. Uh, one of the other trickier cards that can often enable a combo kill, th- even through Ancient Grudge, is Welding Jar. Now, we mentioned it's not that effective against a Shatterstorm since it doesn't allow you to regenerate, but Ancient Grudge has no such stipulation. And when you are you know go for a combo kill, if you have a Welding Jar in play, your opponent can't really Ancient Grudge your guy because... In response to the Ancient Grudge being cast, you sack the Welding Jar, and they can't flashback it yet because it's not even in the graveyard. Right. Uh, so they're still dead at that point. So it, it can actually kind of help you bridge against these disenchant-style cards uh, and especially squeak through a combo kill in an t- otherwise tight situation. And and once again, bringing this card and why it saw so much play or has been adopted so quickly, but in Soul Artifact on an indestructible thing is Ancient Grudge Proof. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, wow, that, that keeps coming up. Right, Soul right. Artifact it's, it's is pretty, pretty it's damn good. Handy, shall we say. <laughs> it's a handy. It's a useful well, it, tool. It's because, as we talked about earlier, Affinity is very linear, or used to be very linear. Right, and, but this gives sense, it a whole nother. This gives it another level that works with its linear plan, but attacks it from a different direction, allowing mm-hmm. it to go past some of the classic ways it's normally defeated. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it just covers up a big weakness. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the next the next big bad for if anyone I want to talk about is actually just is is less a specific card and more of actually a, a deck archetype. And it's the blue-white-red decks. Okay. And the reason Affinity can have a problem with this deck is because these decks are, have more than almost 12 removal spells. One of them, and probably the biggest problem, is Electrolyze. So what Electrolyze is, is it's one red, one blue, one colorless, and it can do two damage split up in any way you want between char- uh, players and creatures, um, and then you get to draw a card. Uh, that card is bonkers, yeah. Yeah, so like <laughs> Ancient Grudge... So you can kill two things, draw a card. Yeah, right. that's you, theoretically you're... always available. So like Ancient Grudge, it enables you to maybe get two things off the board, 
which is useful, and it draws a card. Again, you're gaining some card advantage. It, it's a pretty early play at three mana, not as early as you might like, but considering the blue-white-red deck is inundated with other removal, you're very frequently going to have gone, like, turn one or two, lightning bolt something, turn two, maybe I have a lightning helix or a mana lake or a man ah, or something yeah. to buy some time, and then I've got the electrolyze to clean up after that. And so the, the, I think that that's a big difference between the blue-white-red deck and the black-green deck, which we talked about earlier. Like, the black-green deck plays some of these cards as similar cards. You know, it's got the lightning bolt, the abrupt decay, but it's not fully loaded on all and, these and removal it's spells. it's also doing everything, for the most part, in yeah. their game plan mm -hmm. at sorcery speed. Right. A lot of the and, things, yeah. And so, the thing they are best to defeat you are at instant speed. So because there are these two different levels, it's hard for them to do things while stopping you, while the blue-white-red decks can stop you, and then if you falter for a second, they can then put their game plan into play. Very importantly is that the black-green deck's threats also operate at sorcery speed, so at some point they're going to have to start deciding to try and kill you, at which point they have to start spending mana, and that gives you windows. The blue-white-red deck, for the most part, has a lot of flash threats, uh, Snapcaster Mage and Restoration Angel being the big yeah, ones. Yeah, it's, it's a Drago deck. Yeah, exactly. So it can constantly pass turn. If you try to cranial plating or arcbound ravager them, they shut you down. If you don't, they put a threat into play, they start getting their clock on, and now you're in the situation where you have to figure out how you get through the removal spells while also making sure you don't die to their clock. And so uh, artifact so. of Dark Steel Citadel. Yeah, it's, no, it's, once again, it's <laughs> not that great in this matchup. Right, because they have Path to Exile. Yeah, they uh, have Path to Exile to Exile it. They have Cryptic uh, they have Command to bounce your land. Yeah. Uh, so it, it, and you don't want to be in Soul Artifacting like. Uh, an actual creature. Because yeah, then they yeah. just two for one you right. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's come out from yeah. just kicking you while you're down. They also are playing two stony stones at the sideboard. <laughs> at least. <laughs> so what do you do against this deck? It sounds pretty rough. Um, there it's are tough. a few options. Game one, you can somehow sneak in there. Get uh, the other ways that last them with your man lands. So you have these lands that don't die as easily to their things, and they're pretty resistant to removal because you can pump them and etc. And the other one is dodging them when you're getting paired against your opponents into a top eight. Etched Champion is Wait, actually... Wait, that's the strategy? Don't play against them? <laughs> Etched Champion is actually really powerful. Oh, and yeah. I, honestly, the matchup is... I think I've played blue-white-red a ton, so I'm obviously a little biased because my record against Affinity is fantastic. Right. Uh, but also, you know... I've not necessarily played against people I would consider masters of the deck uh, mm -hmm. on this huge winning record I've got. So I think the matchup is probably closer than it seems to me, uh, especially in game one. I think it's probably like maybe slightly in my favor, but not that huge. But there are also a lot of choices that matter. Uh, you know, for example, are you playing Supreme Bird to Wrath of God in your deck? If you are, matchups got a lot easier because that's one of the best ways to deal with Edge Champion, which can otherwise be pretty difficult to handle. Right, but uh, if, if you're playing Blade Splicer, that's another card that can handle the Edge Champion as well. But if you don't have access to those cards, all of a sudden Edge Champion, a real card against you, you have to really watch out because if they get an Edge Champion and a Cranial Plating into play, even if you're controlling most of the other things, you don't really have a way to remove a Cranial Plating from the board and a 4-2 that can't be blocked or removed by anything is still going to kill you right. pretty quickly, much faster than the blue white red deck can race right. most and, of the time. And another issue that the blue white red deck has in general is that its card selection, different than other draw and go strategies in the past, is especially in the early game based off of reactive reaction. Mm -hmm. So a lot of its cards cantrip, but a lot of the, the cards need to have things to cantrip to. And since they're playing cantrip, a uh, cantrip is you draw a card along with what the spell does. Um, a lot of the cards that you know have to deck is removal, or a chunk of their deck is removal, but other chunk is counter spells that are not as good against you. Because yeah. if you can play your whole hand, turn one and two, Mana Leak does nothing against you. Mana right. Leak is a dead card. If you're playing your whole hand, Remand, you know, might Remand a single pest, and that's going to cost you two life, but then you can just play it again. Or, uh, not a single pest. Yeah, um, Vault Scourge. Vault Scourge, and, and, but you just play it again. Or a single pest, and it's just, oh, you yeah. put a one drop back in my hand and drew a card. So, 
yes, they have removal for you, but if they draw the wrong suite of cards, you know, he was saying, you know, um, Wrath effects in these decks, but a lot of these decks have kind of stopped playing Wrath effects. Many have, yep. Because the format is, you know, not aggressive. We are the aggressive deck. There are mm -hmm. not many aggressive There's decks. There's not enough aggressive Most decks. Most of the other decks in the format. You know, these wrath effects aren't as good. Like the other aggressive, I would say the major other aggressive deck is the birthing pod Plan B, which is just attack with all your dudes and pump them with the lands that you have to let you. Because Plan creatures. A is get infinite life. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and board wipes are bad against them because their creatures all have uh, come back to play when they die effects. So right. you know those factors have made it so these board wipes are less popular. And so it allows the deck to kind of, you know, it's much more about the pure strategy where you need to get in with one guy big, but that'll kill him. The, the cards available to you are very best. So it's better, and that's why we kind of started with that, to know what cards do these that are, are best against me that colors play. So yeah. I know if they're playing white, most likely they have some type of Stony Silence or Kataki's Warway situation. If they're playing red-green, they're most likely have Ancient Grudge on their mm -hmm. sideboard. If they're playing white-red, they probably have Wear and Tear. Um, which we mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're starting to run into the same cards over right, right, right. So I think we've... we've we, did, of... we didn't mention one, which in the case of Splinter Twin can be significant because a lot of this might main deck, or sorry, might sideboard like a single copy to punish you, or maybe more, uh, which is Hercules Recall. Just right. a one to blue for an instant, bounces all artifacts in play back to their owner's hand. Uh, so you got to watch out for that one sometimes. Most of the time, I think it's correct to avoid it because it's a lesser played card. Uh, of those that we've mentioned, so and, and, and it's I, I not, think you just kind of ignore it. But it's damaging in the matchups where the opponent can win the turn they play yeah. it, but it is not as big of a problem because affinity, as we mentioned before, yeah. plays is, their whole hand out very quickly. Play, yeah, it, it's yeah. oh, I have all these cards that I played in two turns last time, and my land There's is now. There's a reason blue white red doesn't play Hercules for right. and it's because it's not good in that matchup. Right. You know, they, they the reason the blue the red everything. decks played is because there are not that blue red probably has one of the weaker sets of sideboard cards in modern. So when you, you play what you get versus the white red that has white and we mentioned well, it's the best. Yeah, bounce is typically yeah. good when you're the aggro and it's typically right. not as yeah. good when you're not. Right? Now if your opponent's base black, you're in luck because there's not a lot that's really anti-affinity out of black. Some lists will have access to something like Drown and Sorrow, Neg 2, Neg 2 to all creatures. Uh, that's not that concerning. It, it's three mana and sorcery speed. And you can easily beat that kind of card. Uh, the really troublesome one that I've seen... Not that played, and usually only in one or two copies, but it's become a little bit more popular uh, since Kent Ketter, an SCG columnist, wrote about it in regard to a win at a modern 5K he played, and that is Knight of Souls Betrayal, which is an enchantment that gives all creatures neg one, neg one. So not only does that kill a lot of your small guys just on the on the spot, it also keeps you from activating those man yeah, lands. Right. As soon as you do, they'll die. Yeah, that. Unless you have... A master of Ethereum in play, which we've already right. mentioned earlier. And now we're in the game of metagaming, you're metagaming, yeah. you're metagame, so that, you know, well, I think this card's going to be played because Black's really popular, so I'm going to play Master of Ethereum. Well, that guy now knows I'm playing Master of Ethereum, so they're going to do X. And that's the creativity that, side of modern that is in metagaming. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that on another day. Um, but, but a lot of that has to do with playing your deck for a while that we right, talked about earlier, too, and yes, learning your exactly. deck. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I want to say that kind of that kind of covers not all of the bases, but I think we can kind of probably wrap up Affinity. I'm sure there are entirety. more bases, but I can't think They're of all <laughs> I've, I've exhausted my personal base reservoir. Uh, <laughs> All right, uh, so that's kind of it for today. I want to thank all you guys for listening to us today. This is our first one, and hopefully we'll get these a little bit more rolling, a little bit better if you thought... What are you talking about? about? It was perfect. I, you were you know, perfect. It, it I wouldn't make a change at all. I wouldn't <laughs> edit it at all. Just don't edit, just Wait, edit this out. Edit <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
Next week, we have a great episode for you guys. We're going to be going into our first episode of a series we're going to be doing, which is uh, a step-by-step -step introduction to competitive play. Uh, we're going to start with FNM, which is Friday Night Magic. Um, and hopefully what we're going to try and do is get a friend who has never been to an FNM to come in beforehand, and then while we record some of the podcasts, go play in an FNM, and then come back during a podcast, and then kind of go over his experience before and after, so you can kind of have an experience of like an introduction to what a person going to FNM would feel like. Um, beyond that, uh, the deck we're going to be doing a deck tech next week is Merfolk, because we're going to start, you know, you know, we start with a big color format, then we're going to go a little bit tier two, but they're all going to be kind of affordable in the beginning so that you guys can easily put your feet into the format without dropping a ton of cash. Yeah, good, um, way, to, good way to dip your toe in the water. Right, you don't right, have to exactly. jump right into the deep end. Right. Yeah. You know, Murpho plays mostly islands, so great. And Mutavault, <laughs> which is rotating, so it should be pretty easy to get your hands on. Yep. So, you know, I want to thank you guys for being here today. Um, you know, if you guys want to shout Thanks out your Twitter us. handles so we can get that out there and people can start following everyone to get all the news. Sure, I'm relatively intuitive to find out. I'm on Twitter at secludedglen. Like the magic card, but spelled with two N's like an adult. Not a tiny Glen. Two N's Glen. Are you implying that people who spell their name with only one N are children? I'm implying that they didn't spell Glen correctly, <laughs> so that's the only reasonable defense. Uh, you I'm can... not a valley. I'm Glen. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Josh Lequai on Twitter. Uh, also, you can find The Command Zone, uh, the podcast that I co-host, at CommandCast also on Twitter, and you can email us at command, or sorry, commandcast at rocketjump.com. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Kess Wiley, and if you want to follow the podcast, we're at the MMcast on Twitter, and to make it easy, we also have an email at the MMcast at rocketjump.com. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we we'll hope to see you next week. Have a good day. Peace. The lights just turned off as we finished and signed off. That was like it was planned. It was like fake. Spooky. Sitting here in the dark. Ooh. Not scary at all. Spooky. Thank you for your attention. For further inquiries, send an email to the MMcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at Kess Wiley and at Secluded Glen. See you later, alligator.